This is the Literary License Podcast, Classic Novel Episode. Dealing with classics you must read before you die, and finding new life in between the dusty covers. Exploring page to screen and everything in between with your co-hosts, Jesse Woods, Ricky Ray, Leandro Getzi, and Keith Chalgo, who ensure to bring the fun to an old stand. Hello, welcome to the Literature License Podcast. It's our classic novels episode, and it, there, it also the month of There's Something in the Water. And we are discussing the classic novel Alice's Adventure in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Leandro Gazzi with us. Hello, Leandro. Hi, how are you? I'm good. And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everybody. And before we get started, let's find what, uh, what we've been up to. Starting with you, Vicky. What have you been up to? Uh, well, um, my kids took me to St. Thomas for four days or so. And so we went doing all kinds of cool stuff, like snorkeling the reefs and kayaking and whatnot. And, um, other than that, just doing my usual reading, getting ready to go home to New York, wondering how kind of much culture shock that's going to be after a year and a half of not being able to go to New York. So I'm kind of interested in seeing how things are going there. See the fam. But other than that, it's been a pretty tang week. What about y'all? What about yourself, Leandro? What have you been up to? Uh, well, I, I have been um, getting ready because soon I'm changing job. I have been working a lot, reading, uh, working in two allotments that I have, and basically just that. Mm-hmm. And myself, well, I watched um, the first part of the trilogy movie that's being released week by week by Netflix called Fear Street 1994. I was going to watch that. I didn't get a chance to because I watched the, what is it, The War of Tomorrow's War, Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. The aliens are fantastic. Watch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, um, Fear Street 1994 is excellent. I highly recommend it. So two hours of gory horror goodness. And it's written by R.L. Stein. Who oh. wrote the Goosebumps series? So, but it's it's dull. But is it's it like eight. Goosebumps for adults? Yeah, eighteen rated, Easy. but um, but they're all interconnected, so it's quite good. So, um, oh, I didn't know that they haven't cut that. back on the horror side of it, so that's quite good. I didn't well. know Stein wrote that. I just saw it advertised on Netflix yesterday. I just hadn't got a chance because we just gotten home, and then I saw that yesterday or tomorrow's tomorrow's war or whatever on Prime, and it was really good. You probably like it, guys. Mm-hmm. And then what else I've done is I sent out the all um, the guests our guest invites for season five, which, which we're getting filling up. we're starting to book up quite solidly. So it looks like yeah, it's kind of exciting. We got lots of people coming, lots of surprises, and all mm-hmm. kinds of cool stuff in store for the next year. And then also contacting Mary Warnoff and to get her on our show, so to cover Night of the Comet, Eating Raoul. And oh Charlie my god, Dingo. eating Raul. I forgot about that movie. I love that movie. Yeah, she played Mary Bland in that. So, oh my god, that's oh my god, I totally forgot about that. I love that movie. Now I'm gonna have to watch it again. I hadn't seen that maybe since high school or a little mm. after when it was an 80s movie, wasn't it? Um, yeah, 1982. She yeah. did not, she did eating Raul, and then uh, right after that, her and Paul Bartel went into Night of the Comet. Oh, that's right. So. Yeah, that's right. Wow, that was a blast from the past. 
That's cool. Reminded me of that. Yeah, one. so I'm looking forward to that because you can talk to her about Andy Warhol and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, that's good. That'd well. be a really interesting interview. Can't wait. So that'd be good. But besides that, just working and watching this and that, I'm really into Master of None on um, Netflix. I highly recommend it. Fantastic comedy series. So it's, uh, it stars the Pakistani American born comic Azzy Amin. So very. brings us to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, or commonly shortened to Alice in Wonderland, is an 1865 novel by English author Lewis Carroll, the pseudonym of Charles Dodson. It tells of a young girl named Alice who falls through a rabbit hole into a subterranean fantasy world populated by peculiar anthropomorphic creatures. It's considered to be one of the best examples of the literary nonsense genre. The tale plays with logic, giving the story lasting popularity with adults as well as with children. One of the best known and most popular works of English language fiction, its narrative structure, characters, and imaginary have been enormously influential in popular culture and literature, especially in the fantasy genre. The work has never been out of print and has been translated into at least 97 languages. Its ongoing legacy encompasses many adaptions of stage, screen, radio, art, ballet, theme parks, board games, and video games. Carol published a sequel in 1871, titled Through the Looking Glass, and a shortened version for young children, the nursery Alice in 1890. So we're going to cut to the synopsis and be right back. Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, The Synopsis. Alice sits on the riverbank on a warm summer day, drowsily reading over her sister's shoulder, when she catches sight of a white rabbit in a waistcoat running by her. The white rabbit pulls out a pocket watch, exclaims that he is late, and pops down a rabbit hole. Alice follows the white rabbit down the hole and comes upon a great hallway lined with doors. She finds a small door that she opens using a key she discovers on a nearby table. Through the door, she sees a beautiful garden and Alice begins to cry when she realizes she cannot fit through the door. She finds a bottle marked Drink Me and down the contents. She shrinks down to the right size to enter the door but cannot enter since she has left the key on the tabletop above her head. Alice discovers a cake marked Eat Me which causes her to grow to an exorbitantly large height. So unable to enter the garden, Alice begins to cry again and her giant tears form a pool at her feet. As she cries, Alice shrinks and falls into a pool of tears. The pool of tears becomes a sea, and as she treads water, she meets a mouse. The mouse accompanies Alice to shore, where a number of animals stand gathered on a bank. After a cactus race, Alice scares the animals away with tales of her cat, Dinah, and finds herself alone again. Alice meets the white rabbit again, who mistakes her for a servant and sends her off to fetch his things. While in the white rabbit's house, Alice drinks an unmarked bottle of liquid and grows to the size of the room. The white rabbit returns to his house, fuming at the now giant Alice, as she swats him and his servants away with her giant hand. The animals outside try to get her out of the house by throwing rocks at her, which inexplicably transforms into cakes when they land in the house. Alice eats one of the cakes, which causes her to shrink to a small size. She wanders off into the forest, where she meets a caterpillar smoke, sitting on a mushroom and smoking a hookah. 
IEI, for example, a water pipe. The caterpillar and Alice get into an argument, but before the caterpillar crawls away in disgust, he tells Alice that different parts of the mushroom will make her grow or shrink. Alice takes a part of the mushroom and her neck stretches above the tree. A pigeon sees her and attacks, deeming her a serpent hungry for pigeon eggs. Alice eats another part of the mushroom and shrinks down to a normal height. She wanders until she comes across the house of the Duchess. She enters and finds the Duchess who is nursing a squealing baby, as well as a grinning Cheshire cat, and a cook who tosses massive amounts of pepper into the cauldron of soup. The Duchess behaves rudely to Alice and then departs to prepare for a croquet game with the Queen. As she leaves, the Duchess's hands Alice the baby, which Alice discovers is a pig. Alice lets the pig go and re-enters the forest where she meets the Cashier Cat again. The Cashier Cat explains to Alice that everyone in Wonderland is mad, including Alice herself. The Cheshire Cat gives directions to the March Hare's house and fades away to nothing but a floating grin. Alice travels to the March Hare's house to find the March Hare, the Mad Hatter, and the Dormouse having tea together. Treated rudely by all three, Alice stands by the tea party uninvited. She learns that they have wrong time, and are trapped in a perpetual tea time. After a final discourtesy, Alice leaves and journeys through the forest. She finds a tree with a door in its side and travels through to find herself back in the Great Hall. She takes the key and uses the mushroom to shrink down and enters the garden. Alice saving several gardeners from the temper of the Queen of Hearts, Alice joins the Queen in a strange game of croquet. The croquet ground is hilly, the malice and balls are live flamingos and hedgehogs, and the Queen tears about frantically calling for the other player's executions. Amidst this madness, Alice dumps into the Cheshire Cat again, who asks her how she is doing. The King of Hearts interrupts their conversation and attempts to bully the Cheshire Cat, who impudently dismisses the King. The King takes offense and arranges for the Cheshire Cat's execution, but since the Cheshire Cat is now a head floating in midair, no one can agree on how to behead it. The Duchess approaches Alice and attempts to befriend her. But the Duchess makes Alice feel uneasy. The Queen of Hearts chases the Duchess off and tells Alice that she must visit the Mock Turtle to hear her story. The Queen of Hearts sends Alice with the Gryphon as her escort to meet the Mock Turtle. Alice shares her strange experiences with the Mock Turtle and the Gryphon, who listen sympathetically and comment on the strangeness of her adventure. After listening to the Mock Turtle's story, they hear an unannouncement that a trial is about to begin and the Gryphon brings Alice back to the croquet ground. The Knave of Hearts stands trial for stealing the Queen's tarts. The King of Hearts leads the proceedings, and various witnesses approach the stand to give evidence. The Mad Hatter and the Cook both give their testimony, but none of it makes any sense. The White Rabbit, acting as a hurl, calls Alice to the witness stand. The King goes nowhere with his line of questioning, but takes encouragement when the White Rabbit provides new evidence in the form of a letter written by the Knave. The letter turns out to be a poem, which the King interprets as the admission of guilt on the part of the Knave. Alice believes the note to be nonsense and protests the king's interpretation. The queen becomes furious with Alice and orders her beheading, but Alice grows to a huge size and knocks over the queen's army of playing cards. All of a sudden, Alice finds herself awake on her sister's lap, back at the riverbank. She tells a story about her dream and goes inside for tea as her sister ponders Alice's adventures. And that is the synopsis of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Hello, welcome back to the Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, and starting with Leandro, what are your thoughts about Alice in Wonderland? 
Um, I have I have wanted to read this book for a long, long, long time, and I never did it. And I'm really happy <laughs> that I read this book. I really enjoyed it. It was really easy to read. I have a lot of words that are like maybe imagine it's like old English, but no, I really enjoyed. There was there's one. It's really crazy the way she thinks, right? But if you kind of think it one way and then go back and think it the same way, but they say the other way around, can make a bit of sense. Um, there is one one question that I think is the question that every person has in their life, that is, who in the world am I? You know, and then she she asked herself that, like because she was saying that it was not the same when she woke up that morning than when. She was like in this uh, land, and yeah, I really, really enjoyed. Um, there was parts that were like really crazy, parts that were like, "Come on, carry on!" Um, but no, I really, really enjoyed. And actually, I, I, sorry, I carry on reading now the second part because I, I want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> and what about yourself, Vic? What are your um, initial thoughts? Well, I can see why everybody thought he was on drugs when he wrote it. Apparently, (laughs) seriously, well, apparently, and I didn't really know this. I don't know why. I've never really read a whole lot about Victorian England, which is when this is. And um, apparently he was, kids were like a big deal back then, photographing children and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he really was like really all up about his nieces and stuff is in particular this, this Alice in particular his niece. And you know that he used to take nude pictures of his nieces. His parents, the parents allowed it because nude pictures of children were sent out as Christmas cards and all kinds of weird shit like that. I didn't know any of this. I was really fascinating reading into his life. If you looked up, you know, him by his, his, not his pen name, but uh, it was truly nonsensical. And when you go in and that's what it's called, was it nonsensical fiction or something like that? I think that somebody had coined that term. But I was wondering when you do the research for things like this and you look up, you know, what people thought and they're calling it tragic and inevitable loss of childhood innocence, perhaps about or they're saying it's about puberty or body, this and that, because you're too big, you're too small, you're not this, you're not that. And I'm just wondering, maybe we're just overthinking his novel and it's just supposed to be fun and it's not supposed to have any of this other weird stuff associated with it. Who knows? But I mean, as a psychological, I mean, someone could write a dissertation. They probably have written dissertations on this novel. But I mean, when you think about it, 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 maybe we're overthinking Carol as opposed to, you know, just not enjoying the novel like it should be enjoyed as a nonsensical children's story. But I mean, for the longest time, I thought Alice in Wonderland was done when the author was on LSD or something like that. But, you know, when you research this stuff and, you know, it was like a couple of years ago, I realized that wasn't true. He was not on drugs. You know, he just had a seriously vivid imagination. And, you know, I, I guess it could be construed as, you know, the, the, when they're talking in, in the research, like life is a meaningless puzzle and this is about puberty and, and whatnot. Like I said, maybe we're overthinking it or maybe he did have these things on his mind. I don't know. I guess, like I said, everybody was just infatuated or almost um, culturally obsessed with children in the Victorian age. I didn't, I mean, I thought it was interesting articles that I found on it. Um, I had no idea that they did that with children, that they would send out nude pictures of their kids on Christmas. I wonder if there must've been like a cap of an age 
where, you know, they stopped doing that, I hope. But there was all kinds of weird, Victorian, especially England was really weird. I mean, I mean, I'm going to start reading more about Victorian England because it's kind of fascinatingly strange. And um, it's, it's, I guess maybe this is just all about irony, perhaps the whole book. I mean, I found Alice in Wonderland a lot different than what I anticipated. I knew the story yeah. and, you know, I have an idea what the story was. Um, I also realized that a lot of times with filming films and which we'll get into the, the Disney film later, but I always found that they're, all the films are like a hybrid of the two books stuck together sort of thing. They seem like it. And I didn't realize that Alice's character was so... She's not the politest character ever. No, she's you know, an obnoxious kind of seven-year-old. Well, the thing is, is um, she comes from the class system. Alice is um, well-bred um, right. and everything like this. She comes from a middle-class family. And she's, you know, and, but she's very precocious as far yeah. as the way, that she, the way that she is. I like how she thinks. But then, but then again, I guess that what we find with Alice, which this is quite interesting when you compare it to The Wizard of Oz, which was coming out around the same time, which is like the American, the American version of Alice in Wonderland is The Wizard of Oz, really, where Dorothy kind of goes into a dream world and here's yeah. Oz. Here we have the English version, which came first, which is Alice going into this dream world sort of thing. And it's all about education and not and and this is quite interesting with as far as the English culture is concerned, that English never tell you what they think. You have to read between the lines of what they mean. And it's totally what they say and what they mean are two different things. And I thought that was quite interesting. And then doing some research, I also realized that all these characters in this book are based on famous people of that time. You know, they're all based on politicians and the Mad Hatter's based on a famous um, furniture person from Oxford, from Oxford. And yeah. And that basically he's characterized these people and it's kind of a piss take of who these people are as well. So you kind of got that all married in there. Yeah. But well, there I- is, Sorry. I mean, another thing I guess you need to remember is that during Victorian times, there were drug dens at that time where people were on um, quite regular. Well, was quite, quite available too. Yeah. Do you think he was hitting the opium pipe? A lot of people just don't think that there's no way he could come up with this story, that this, this nonsensical, you know, irony child story without being mentally inspired. Well, I, I don't think so, because when, when, when you were saying this, I remember there is a movie with uh, Ken Winslet and Jim Carrey, really long name, the name of the movie, something like Eternal... Eternal, uh, eternal something of the spotless mind. Yes, that one. God, how um, do you remember all that stuff? <laughs> Keith is a walking library. Okay. <laughs> eternal so, sunshine of the spotless mind. That's it. Yes. I love that movie. And there is a part in that movie, right? And I, I, I remember that watching. I couldn't understand that part. Then I asked a friend and then he said, well, look, he was dreaming. And when you dream, things are not normal as they're like when you're awake. And if, if you think that she was dreaming, well, all these make sense, right? Well, because, yeah, it's a hell of a dream. Well, but, well, yes. <laughs> and um, then I have a friend that whose mom used to live in Yorkshire, and she once went to a cathedral called Ripon, 
And she said that she saw in an old uh, piece of wood, old ca uh, carvings, and she has someone there. And apparently the author take all the the characters from that carving. I don't know, maybe as, as Keith said, maybe, you know, that he made the link between the, the picture, the, I don't say, uh, the, um, I don't know, let's say the cut and someone on that time of the era that, you know, famous and put it together. Anyway, I think he did it in a really clever way. So, Well, I mean, all the poems and songs that are used are parodies of real poems and songs. Yep. You know, like if you look at, um, you know, this, you know, the Queen of Hearts is an actually nursery rhyme. Um, you look at um, the Mouse's Tale is an example of concrete poetry. How Doth the Little Crocodile is a parody of Isaac Watts's nursery rhyme against idleness and mischief. And Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Bat, of course, is a parody of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. So, so when you How look at Twinkle, that, Twinkle, the Twinkle, whole, Little Star been around? Um, well, that came out. I mean, it's it's got a the person who wrote Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star is Jane Taylor. So obviously, you know, it's been around before Victor, you know, around maybe around Victorian times. I mean, now it's yeah. you know, it's been it's it's like Happy Birthday. It's been in our lives the whole time. So right. What about the um, caterpillar's mushroom? Well, th this is where I think you know. I also think that the drug references probably came from a 1960s um, generation. That well, that's what they're saying. That, the 60s, late 60s, and the early 70s had revived the book's popularity because everybody back then was on LSD, and so they figured this is a real good <laughs> LSD novel. You know, a, a good tripping story. You well, know. you got the mushrooms just make her grow bigger and smaller. Depending well, no, and other on. other people are thinking that the caterpillar's mushroom is also multiple symbolic meanings. Some this says critics and readers view him as a sexual threat because he is a phallic shape and symbol of sexual virility. I honestly did not get that from the caterpillar, but apparently, some people who who, who think about stuff like that, I don't know where they came up with that. Who are you? Yeah, <laughs> who are you? Then they start who fighting. Are you? <laughs> but she argues with him. You know, yeah. they don't hit it off in the novel or in any other representation. I mean, another thing that I guess to show that this is nonsensical and stuff like this that the one thing that always makes sense, no matter what you do, and whether you talk about science or whether you talk about life or anything like that, is mathematics. Right. And when we go into Wonderland, we realize that the rules of mathematics don't make sense whatsoever. Because it doesn't make sense, though. There's no logic. Yeah. So there. So I thought that was quite interesting to use mathematics as a way of showing that logic is, has pretty much been thrown out the window when she enters Wonderland. Yeah. Well, you got the queen, you know, and she wants to off with everybody's head, but she can't off the Cheshire cat's head because he only has a head sometimes. Hmm. And we're just trying to wonder where he got that. Well, it does say though that he got a lot of his uh a lot of his his stories or a lot of the places that he used in his stories came from actual life stuff. Like things hmm. that were in England that people, you know, um recognized as, you know, uh places where you, you normally frequent. Yeah, I mean, um 
I mean, this tale started basically when he was on a boating trip with a reverend with Alice and her sisters. And that's when he started writing. Um, it, it was an oral story that he said. Wasn't it the golden it. afternoon or something? But it wasn't really such a golden afternoon. Didn't they get caught in the rain in their boat and they had to walk like three miles to the nearest whatever in the rain well, to find comfort? That's typical English weather. It starts yeah, out that's sunny, what I figured. Rain, you know? the- <laughs> It's always raining there, from what I remember. Like a sunny verse or something like that. Actually, I've always been lucky when I've been there because it was either sunny. It didn't really rain that much except for a spotty shower here and then. I kind of lucked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, going, going back to the mathematics, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, when Alice is, you know, drowning, almost drowning in her pool of tears before she shrinks down. Right. You know, she says, let me see. Four times five is 12 and four times six is yeah. 13. Four times seven is, oh, dear, I should never get to 20 at this rate. Knowing right. that, like, she wasn't very good at maths. I don't know if she was good at maths in her, you know, reality state, but in her dream world, it just wasn't going for her sort of thing. Because she's thinking. But I also found that... um Everyone in Wonderland talks very oddly, but at the same time, um, it doesn't really, Alice doesn't really help things matter too much. Because the thing is, she's always questioning everyone and telling them, it's a bit like being invited to someone's house and just being utterly rude to them. (laughs) So you figure her attitude and immaturity is the antagonist of the novel, which pisses off the queen? I would sit there and say so. Well, I'm just sitting there saying that she's so, she's so, she's, She's okay when she's pointing out other people's faults, but when they point out her faults, all of a sudden she goes on the defensive all the True, time. True, she does, but she's tried to come to terms because this is a weird place, you know, even if it is in her head. But then you never really know because you, she's she knows she's dreaming. She knows she can control the dream and wake up. So I guess it is a dream. <laughs> I mean, you really don't know. Is it a dream or is it real? They don't really say. Well, it's really interesting what you said that she's questioning everything because at the same time, if you uh, think at that time of age, is when you start to ask, for example, your parents, I don't know why this is like that and why. And so, I mean, I understand what you say. It's really interesting, you know, that at the same time, it's like, well, she wants to know, let's say, why things are like that there. And once I heard something really interesting, I don't know if it is true, but apparently they said, I don't know what I, what I heard is that the Arthur used to have um, certain kind, I don't know, it's not an illness. It's like some people have, uh, let's say they per- perceive things bigger than other people or smaller, right? Mm. Uh, this has a name. I can't remember the name exactly. But it's like, for example, imagine you're in a room and the walls for you, if you have that condition, looks bigger than they actually are. So then you can maybe, for example, you know, panic because you feel that you are like, and I don't know, I, I heard this once that it was like he used to suffer from that. So he was trying to explain how someone that suffered from this perceived uh, reality. Kind of phobia or? Mm, kind of like that. I really can't remember exactly the name. Um, did you but do you guys think that for a little girl in a dream she had to face death constantly someone was either threatening to kill her or she came in certain issues where i mean she was in danger all the time it seemed i mean the queen was crazy for one off with her head stuff like that falling down a right. rabbit hole you know she just conveniently lands you know 
whatever. But I mean, her, <laughs> all her whole situation is like menace. You know, she's menaced by it. I, like there's a constant underlying menace of death possibly in the story. Well, another thing is, is uh, and if, but her, her imperilness is always is ca- caused by her curiosity. But she's so a kind of girl. curiosity killed. Well, it's also I mean, but but what is that saying? Curiosity killed the cat. Yeah. You know, so basically, you know, you know, she follows she follows a rabbit that gets her into trouble. Her mouth gets her in trouble a lot as well. Right. Um, yeah. And we're, maybe if she was uh, more of a cons- uh, a quiet observer. Maybe she probably would have fared a little bit better, really. Because, I mean, to be honest, she's very forthright in the way that she thinks and what she's saying. But then at the same time, I guess she, I guess as a person, she never asked the right questions, does she? If she asked the right questions, she probably would get the right answers. But, I mean, when you would think of, well, who can ask the right question in a world that's upside down and sideways and just askew? And I mean, none of it makes sense. So how do you come up with a, com- a question that's going to make sense in a nonsensical world? Well, the question basically is, is that she starts out and that you can understand that. But the thing is, she doesn't grow as a person. She doesn't learn from any of your experiences. She makes the same mistakes over and over and over again through this dream. You know, when she starts off, you know, talking to the doorknob at first and sort of thing, and you know, but she never learns from there. And then when she washes up ashore and, then you know, you have to run around the rock to keep dry sort of thing. And then and she asked you know, the that, rat about the cat or her cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, I know that she's a little girl, but at the same time, is it, um, how, how old is she supposed to be? Seven, I think. Is she seven? I think the niece was seven. Okay, because I just spent I just spent four days with a seven year old girl, and this is just how they are. I mean, seriously, how they are. I could just totally draw total. Yeah, I thought that she. I thought she was like twelve. Virgin. Well, she's, well, they make her look to be twelve, but I think in the actual novel, she's seven. Okay, because they never really talk about. Another thing is Alice. You don't really know anything beyond her, you know, beyond her physical appearance. You don't. They don't really tell you too much about Alice. You don't get a description of Alice was born or, or anything about her. You kind of have to feed into who you think she is. It's almost like you have to kind of step into Alice's shoes and come up with your own version of who Alice is. I mean, it probably doesn't help that with Disney's version of it. Um, yeah, which we will get into, but that seems to be the classic way of Alice's look, whether you're doing a Tim Burton film version of it or the many other adaptions of Alice is always that, you know, the blue, the blue dress, the white pinafore and the, you know. Yeah. It says right here, um, Alice, the fictional child living during the middle of a Victorian era and adventures in Wonderland, which takes place on May 4th, for whatever reason, the character is widely assumed to be seven years old. Alice gives her age a seven and a half in the sequel, which takes place on November 4th. Okay. So there, there we go. go. So she's seven. So I guess that makes a lot more sense then. Because that's what I'm saying. Say that whoever up. plays Alice in any movie version, any live action, I mean, they're always seem to be in their 20s. Yeah, well, <laughs> well that's because they make yeah. it more, you know, like a sexy Marvel comic kind of thing. Because, when you know, the one with the Jabberwocky and all that stuff. I actually liked those films. I really liked those films a lot. And I don't was it Tim Burton's? Did Tim Burton make those? Yeah, Tim Burton did yeah. the first one, and the sequel was done by someone else. So okay, well, Tim Burton had—I thought it was great. I loved how she had to, you know, take up the sword and fight like Joan of Arc. I kind of thought it was kind of cool. 
but she was she was supposed to get married in that movie, so she was not seven. But I mean, in Victorian England, you figure possibly anybody getting married could be fourteen and above, right? Yeah, but still, fourteen and above is a lot different than being seven. Yeah. yeah. Well, I well, mean, I don't know. Sorry, we are overthinking the novel again. <laughs> if you think like recently, Disney has been like kind of like making the movies for the say from this story, for example, and they're not doing like like before, like respecting like. I have noticed that there are several movies that I have I have been watching from Disney. And I was like, they're trying to they're giving a, like a twist to the story, like for mm-hmm. example, I don't know. Just to give you an example quickly, Maleficent starts in, in one way, like, you know, like once upon a time and, and all that story, and then kind of flip it over and then says, okay, this is not this way. It was the other way around. Like, um, mm. And I think maybe that's what they tried to do when Tim Burton did it. Like, instead of respecting, I don't know, a seven-year-old little girl, they change it a bit. So then when she has to, I don't know, fight or do whatever she was doing, like, it's more like real. Mm. I think, I don't know. I mean, the problem basically is is when you use someone that's older and she's asking those questions and acting that way, she comes across as having a (laughs) form of autism instead of like (laughs) a 10-year-old girl wondering this because (laughs) if you're like, you know, you're 16, you're playing Alice as a 16-year-old and you're running around Wonderland and you're asking those questions, it does make you seem that you're maybe a little bit more simple, maybe not... You know, Are you or have to be a. Nice? Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to be well, nice. I know also, what he's thinking. But... Yeah, I also, know the word I, I want to use, but I don't think we can use that word anymore. I know what about the concept that life is a meaningless puzzle, and she encounters series of puzzles that have no clear solutions, and it imitates the ways that life frustrates expectation. Um, I agree. I kind of agree with that, actually. I mean, life, I mean, that's the reason why it's probably best to go through life without any expectations. It's good to plan, but don't have expectations and keep I totally agree with that. Expectations are totally overrated. (laughs) They just are. (laughs) Well, I know. I mean, my grandmother used to sit there and say that you can plan your life and plan for every eventuality that's going to happen. But it's always that one thing that you didn't think of that hits you across the side of the head. Exactly. And goes, you know, so sometimes it's best to be on cruise control. (laughs) I agree with that completely. I mean, just think about it, though. I mean, expectations are just so disappointing because no one's Mm -hmm. ever. What are expectations, really? No one's going to really live up to your personal expectations. I know personally, I can't live up to Keith's expectations (laughs) because he's always got a comment. (laughs) But no, I mean, it's it's but it is we're over. I, I think, you know, after all the stuff I read about this over the last week or so. I mean, everybody's trying to psychoanalyze this story. And though it is Elizabethan England, and you kind of think about the author. This is really weird. He didn't have friends. He hung out with little girls. And although all these little girls grew up to say that he was okay and was totally well-behaved around them, and he probably didn't act on it, it, it's kind of weird in this day and age to know that, you know, a a, a middle-aged man or whatever how old he was hanging out with young girls all the time. That's the only friends he had was his nieces. It seems weird, you know, but nobody thought anything of it back then. So, I mean, what really was actually going on in Victorian England? You know, 
in reality. Well, I mean, Victorian England, if you look at the history of Victorian England, at that time, there were workhouses where children were forced to work. Um, parents were shoved in these if they couldn't pay their bills. And, right. You know, and there was there wasn't, you know, unless you came from a well to do family. I mean, if uh, your childhood wasn't yeah. really protected per se sort of thing you know you kind of had to grow up fast or grow ergo up why the fixation with children was it because they were supposed to be beautiful and visual objects is what it's seemingly what it's supposed to be because like i said i was really surprised about the the pictures of children you know sparsely clothed in that time i would think that even people back then would think that's a little you know kind of well i don't know if i guess it depends if maybe they didn't look at it sexually maybe they just looked at it um innocence that's the only time in their lives that are going to be innocence because that's what it fast. that's and what loss of innocence goes very quickly well them. that's what they're talking about a loss of tragic and inevitable loss of childhood innocence because let's face it alice is innocent she might be a pain in the ass but she's innocent you know at this point and she's got a I child mean, around this you also have to remember around the same time is like if they were taking news they're also taking pictures of dead people as well oh pop- yeah that that's true pop- i forgot that's very popular that. as well so you know, if you look at it from an artistic sort of sense, it's basically got the, you know, innocence and end of life beginning. Right. And end. That's true. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that. That's kind of a fat. There's a whole Facebook group of that. It's kind of fascinating. All these cultures and people from, I mean, all these pictures, especially of the dead children, you know, how they mm-hmm. held them up in certain ways. I mean, let's face it. I mean, everybody talks about the 60s or the 80s being strange. I think the Victorian age was probably one of the strangest times we had in westernized world it just seemed weird and all the books we read i mean i don't know if they're accidentally in in this era but things were just so different when you read the books you realize that there's a whole underlying subculture going on in victorian england and and the places these authors frequented because it's i mean you read it it's like wow like gulliver's travels who would have thought that gulliver was going to be used as a sex toy you know, I would have never thought that after reading the book. And I was like, what am I reading? When was this written? You know what I mean? It's just kind of, it just strikes you. It's like, you don't think of these things when you read these novels, when you're a kid in high school. I None of this stuff went through my head when I was 15 <laughs> or 16. I didn't think that. Well, I mean, during, you know, during this time period, if you look at what was being released, um, you know, Little Women in America, same time period. Right. We also have um, Charles Dickens, same time period. Also have the Brontes Jack the Ripper. and all that. The Brontes around this time. Um, yeah, they the forties, eighteen forties. Yeah, but you also have Jack the Ripper running around at the same time. Right. You know, you also have the Elephant Man, and if you look at all the other stuff that was going on around this time period, it's kind of a mad I mean, time. It was very bizarre. Sherlock Holmes, another thing. Yeah. Same time period. Um, H.G. Wells, which yeah. we covered in the time machine as well. So I wonder, was it, it's, 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 this is the industrial age, if I can remember correctly, is it not? We also had a huge divide in the class system at this age, at this time as right. well. Right. There was the haves and the have nots, definitely, because you always had the little Oliver Twist story going on underneath everything. And then you mm. don't really even see middle class. You're either well bred or you're not kind of thing precisely yeah and i you know another thing is you kind of wonder that maybe if you're and you have to i think most of the writers are actually middle class anyway so therefore we're only kind of getting well what's your take on middle class in victorian england was it like how we live kind of sort of 
you know, not, not middle class England would probably be in American terms, the upper middle class. Oh, no, that's not how I live. <laughs> um, yeah. um, any, anything, any, anything, anything that um, wasn't on the poverty level. And if you either not on the poverty level or you were on the poverty level, there's no, there's no, there was no gray area. So the thing, so. Another thing that's interesting about Alice is some of the motifs that are used, things like dreams, the dream thing. Yeah. It, um, life is nonsensical in your dreams. But supposed what's to also make quite interesting is that if you look at the way dreams are interpreted now with psychiatry and stuff like this, is that now you, you can go to like dream therapists and dream analysis. It'll tell you that what's going on in your life through your dreams. Do you think that's really legit stuff? I know you got psychology on your side but do you really think that you can really honestly explain the underpinnings of the brain when it's asleep and how it's processing information i mean yes i think some i I don't know i mean i i personally think that dreams are a way for it's like a cleansing of your subconscious it cleanses off all the crap that you picked up and just gets rid of it so therefore yeah that makes that that would be a nice thing to think of like like a computer that's um dumping you know, dumping the old files. Yeah, the old files kind of thing like that. And stuff that doesn't actually mean anything, but at the same time. Though you do though people do tend to have dreams when they're going through more traumatic times in their life. They seem to have more their dreams seem to be more vivid at that time. You know, uh, whether I'm, you know, whether you can make sense of what's going on in your life. I mean, you know, it's a bit like going to a medium and um, whether you believe or not. But right. You can feed whatever someone's telling you into something if you want to. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, like a curse. It's like, if you don't believe in curses, anything bad that happens to you is probably not going to be cause of a curse. If you do believe in curses, and curses. And things yeah. curses, then you probably think that whatever happens to you is, co- is the cause of this curse sort of thing. And, yeah. uh, what, what do you think about you two about regression therapy? I think it'd be fantastic if I, I would love to do it. I've talked to people that have done regression therapy and it's kind of cool depending on what you're looking for. Some people want past life regression. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I think it's a fascinating concept. I do. The only problem I have with it is that everyone seems to be coming from royalty from some country. Yeah. Every time someone goes into the questions, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, not everyone had, not everyone's past life. I'm sure it was not part of it. My favorite, somebody told me, somebody told me they were a reincarnation of Gandhi. And I was like, oh, can't you be somebody normal? Not everybody (laughs) is Napoleon or Gandhi. You know, so when somebody tells me yeah. they're Gandhi, I'm going, yeah, sure you were. <laughs> you know, why can't you just be like some workhouse wench in Victorian England? I know, like or... the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, you know, but 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 yeah, that's that's the only thing that kind of makes me give pause to the whole thing because it's like they always tend to be someone who is famous or something or someone that's connected to them. They were rich in a previous life or something. Right. And I'm thinking, well, really? on the other hand. I know people that have done regression. I've met quite a few people that have done it. And they're not anybody special. But, I mean, they have phobias, like water phobia. I, like, have a fear of heights or a fear of drowning, but I'll still get in the sea. But, I mean, people are saying, I remember drowning. Or if you get your hands on children while they're still young, they still they got all kinds of, you know, uh, children's that cannot come up with this. I remember being this person in the Civil War. I mean, four or five-year-olds. I mean, you just never know. I mean, we're so, you know, got to be following the science. Yeah. But I mean, what is actuality is science, you know? But some, what somebody else is telling you, you don't know. 
And how right, much of it, how much of the aggression things. therapy is your subconscious and your fantasy world feeding into it? There's that. It could be, well. but it might not be. On might the other not end. be. Well, it's a bit like you know aliens and UFOs. The possibility is there, but well, it haven't you been watching the news? All the alien footage is out there to get our minds off of everything. <laughs> but I mean, but again, you know, the thing is, I like to believe in like aliens and UFOs. My problem is, is that they tend to be a bunch of like rednecks having sex in the back of a Jeep who get anally probed by some alien race. And I kind of wonder, like, if you're an alien race, it's like, if this is the people you're going for, why don't you go to like to Oxford or Harvard or Yale and just pick up one of them? You know, I to know. get more of an idea of the <laughs> Why are you picking up Herman Munster and out back of North Texas? You know, mm. pick up somebody that's really smart and has something to <laughs> <Precisely>. offer. <laughs> because I am sure that they are picking up these people. I'm not saying that it's not possible. It is a possibility. I find it very arrogant people. of us to think they- we're alone. Sorry. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that they are picking these people. They're, 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 the alien race is thinking one of two things. Either these people are too stupid to take over, so we're just going to bother with them. Or simple fact is like, well, I'm just sure that they were going to take us over. They would take us over if these are the people they're picking up. <laughs> it's just like, well, they're, they're, a little over. <laughs> they're pretty easy. <laughs> Not very bright at all. <laughs> Well, so we were watching something about it. Well, I watched that movie about aliens and stuff. And I was beginning, we were talking about wormholes and science and how you can slip through the cracks and, and all that other stuff. And, you know, maybe, maybe all these UFOs, like for that movie I was watching, you know, Tomorrow's War, you know, that was all about people's children and grandchildren being sent back to our time because mm-hmm. they need our help because these aliens had appeared in 19 or uh, 2048. And they were using us as food and we were down to 500,000 people in the future. They come back and ask everybody over 40, basically, for help because most people were going to die anyway. And that's the people they were taking back. They, their life was going to end anyway. But it was kind of interesting because I got to thinking, it's just like, well, maybe all these, these UFOs are just wormhole stuff from us in the future. And we're just sending this crap back, you know, to check out stuff. <laughs> Who knows? You just don't know. I mean... The, the world was it what is there's more things in heaven and earth ratio than are dreamt of so you don't know it's all it's all a it's all a crap shoot another motif in alice in wonderland is subversion um alice quickly discovers during her travels that only reliable aspects of wonderland that she can count on that it will frustrate her her expectations and challenge her understandings of the natural order of the world in Wonderland, Alice finds that her lessons no longer mean what she thought as she botches her met- met- multiplication tables and incorrectly recites poems that she has memorized while in Wonderland. Even Alice's physical dimensions become warped as she grows and shrinks erratically throughout the story. Wonderland frustrates Alice's desires to fit her experience in a logical framework where she can make sense of a relationship between cause and effect. There's a lot of cause and effect, that's for sure, in this novel. <laughs> yeah. <Or> novella. <laughs> So, but it's quite interesting that basically is is like anything that she knew outside of the dream world becomes messed up in her own mind as well. So obviously in this dream world where everything is messy, her thoughts are messy as well, which is quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, you know, if you, and you, if you pertain that to the dreams and the subversion of it, I mean, I guess if you think about your own dreams and basically what happens in there, very, very little sense comes out of your dreams, basically. They're all quite nonsensical dreaming, isn't it? I don't know anyone that has a, you know, a 
whoever I don't know anyone who dreams that, that is not nonsensical. Well, you'll find yourself in situations talking to people, whether they're dead or alive, in like really weird circumstances. My 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 big question is, where do half of these people in my dreams come from? I go, it's like I do not even know these people. It's like, have I seen them somewhere else, and they just kind of like stuck back there, and they kind of materialize in my subconscious? You know, it's like, who the hell are these people? Well, also there yeah. always seems to be a bit of familiarity to the people that you have in your dreams as well. Even though you may not know who they are, but there seems to be this familiarity that you're just like yeah, having conversations true. with them. Yeah. But they, but there's this feeling like they're like an old friend or something. Possibly. Well, they, apparently, well, that's what, what I studied when I was in university. I studied psychology as a subject. And it's like the way that dreams are made is like, for example, imagine that I dream about you, right? But it's not. Ex- I know in the dream that it's you, but you don't look like you now. Maybe I know, I know, your hair I is know. different. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you have, uh, for example, I don't know the hair of, of some another person that I know and the eyes, but it's you, right? Right. Uh, I think that the, the to me the crazy thing I have ever uh, ever happened happened to me a few times. Dream about people that I have never seen yet. Yeah. Like and and it's nothing. It's not that you said, oh, okay, uh, it's Vicky. No. Is someone that I have never seen yet, and it has happened. You know, I think you know when you met someone. I said, "Wait, hold on, I have seen you before." And they're like, "Yes." Or like deja vu. Where does yes. that come from? Yeah, that yeah, really, yeah. it's like when when it happens, like God, this is weird. You know, deja vu well, is weird. Maybe you do think that I'm crazy, but this is how, how how I think. I think that maybe we have like a kind of the, the mind has a power that we that kind of not know exactly how it works. But you know, for example, you know, you are thinking about someone, then at that exactly moment, the person texts you, let's say, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happens all the time. So yeah. my idea is that probably the mind can go, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, like forward, but we can understand how it works, right? Right. Or have that that time of like connection that is not doesn't happen all the time, but in certain times happen. So, yeah. Really okay, another thing that's quite interesting also that also falls into this language um these dreams and subversion is how lewis carroll uses language and how the language is all messed up well it's all, but if you also look in your dreams you have conversations that the language it's kind of an yeah. odd language that you're using the conversations are always a bit odd they're a bit weird inside your own dreams as well right but so, yeah but yeah. they don't seem that way at the time no, it's only when you wake up, if you do remember your dreams, and was, then you also have those dreams that sometimes when you wake up, they kind of stick with you and they kind of stick with you for like half yeah. a day. And you're kind of like feel out of sorts and you keep playing it over in your mind and it doesn't really <laughs> yeah. make a lot of sense. What about the the, the, the mad tea party? Oh, I love that part. I love it when she sat down and said something about like, it was not polite to do something that the hair was doing and then the, the hair said, well, it's not polite to uh, sit down on a party that you have not been invited. <laughs> <laughs> I really one good. thing about that, that that was quite odd with Alice is that basically they're having this tea party. They're like sat down, let's say they sat down to dinner at their tea party, right? And then she's standing by the table waiting to be waiting to be invited. And you know, like, and it kind of reminded those people that come to your house when dinner time's ready, and they're like hanging around your dinner table waiting to yeah. be invited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And you well, begrudgingly like, start... would you like something to eat? 
I know. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. I've had that. Oh no! Oh, oh, they say. Well, if you need to eat, carry on. You know, otherwise. No, no, no. I don't want to be an inconvenience. No, worry about it, man. Yes. But you'll sit there and watch me like shovel food into your mouth. But don't worry, feel comfortable. Enjoy your meal. Yeah, yeah. As I'm drooling I, while you put while you're putting food in your mouth. Great. <laughs> Did she not realize that she was in a dream? I think when she was at the tea party because she saw the Mad Hatter chew on his teacup, and I think she was starting to realize that maybe she was. Not in a real world at that point. I think, you know, I think like I have to then say that, you know, when I was younger, I had to go to a um, psychiatrist because I used to have a dream about um, someone holding my head down from the age of like three to five and taking a um, a needle and pushing it through my eye very slowly. Oh, lovely. And then I, and my other dream used to be about, um, you know, atomic war that basically, you know, I would have this dream and that everyone would be eradicated through nuclear war. And so my parents sent me to a psychiatrist when I was younger. But what I learned is I learned to actually control my dreams situation. And it was, it was a process that took like two or three years, but for, which now that now when I, I, now when I dream, I dream it like I'm watching a movie. And so like, I'm part of it, but at the same time, I want to see the conclusion of it. So I kind yeah. of forced myself. But I think with Alice, the, you know, the problem basically is, is that if, you know, if she is seven years old, she probably doesn't realize that she's in a dream anyway, because she doesn't right. seem sort of thing. I think that she probably did realize that she was in a dream. I think that she might have treated things a bit differently or acted a bit differently because, you know, so maybe, you know, because what we have is we start out with a story and she's quite a well brought up, thoughtful girl. She seems like when a she world this educated world, for her course, age That's too. all from around the world now, isn't it? Sort of thing. Yeah. So mm-hmm. maybe that's part of it as well. You know, um, so yeah, but, but language seems to be very, very not the language is never quite right in this land as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's and it's, and it, the, you know, normally it's like when language isn't quite right in a story, you can you know, you normally like okay, don't listen to what they say, listen to what they mean, and in this story that you can't do that <laughs> because it doesn't mean anything, you know. Uh, uh, but it's a dream, though. I mean, it's nothing what it seems. And it does. They, they say that everything you dream about is something you've been thinking about. And this is the way your brain is sorting through it to fix things or fix it well, in your ab- head. Or... What about the Duchess with the pig baby? I thought that was odd. That, that was really Yeah, odd. that was really weird. Yes. And, and I remember, well, first of all, the, the, tea part, the, the tea party was really cool. There is one moment that I think she asked them... For how long have been having a tea party? And they said that they started like I don't know, like a month, two months ago or something like that. Mm. And it's funny the way that, that she couldn't understand. And they kind of they were like tweaking the time, saying, "Okay, if you, for example, if you measure the time the way we are measuring now, right? Let's say um, we are like." depending on that, let's say, on that time. But if we were measuring in, in our way time, right? And I don't know, now it's not six. For us, it's like eight. You know, for all the people, it will be unrealistic. But for us, we will understand that. So I don't know, for me, it was really clear because also she was confused. And I think that then, then she had like a hint that things there well, were not going normal, let's say. Maybe well, I, I, think, think. I think it's also part of that. Um, that time is relative, isn't it? 
Time is what you yeah, think. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. For time, yeah, you yeah. either go very, very slow or very, very fast. But it's kind of a, it's, a, it's very fluid, isn't it? Which I thought was quite interesting with. Um, yeah. And this kind I of wanted- ties in with some of the A.C. Wells' stuff at this time as well. Because he always thought about time being fluid and rubbing relative and for everything It like doesn't that. seem like she was asleep very long either, though, does she? Well, you know, I mean, dreams she- seem like they happen really quick. Yeah, and but even though it feels like it's taking a long time in the dream, it's like, you know, it's, it's a bit like, you know, when you do those cat nap things for like five minutes and you all of a sudden you kind of go in this weird dream thing. Sort yeah, of thing yeah, so those, are the, those are the weirdest times to have them too, is those quickie dreams you get when you're taking a small nap. Yeah, well, what about, the weird stuff happens. But what about time that you dream, like you come home and the sun's up and you, and you fall asleep and you wake up and the sun's gone down and you, and you look at the clock, it says like, I don't know, seven o'clock. And you think, oh my God, I'm late for work. And you think it's seven o'clock. I know, the morning. I've done that <laughs> <laughs> No, it's seven o'clock at night. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, do I don't that. know. It has happened to me that, for example, sometimes if I, around every day, around like say two and four um, the afternoon, I could go to sleep, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, and I, the times that I go to sleep at that time is like, maybe I sleep, I don't know, 15 minutes. But when I wake up, I feel like I have slept, I don't know, like maybe two hours. Right. So, you know, uh, I don't know, it's really, really interesting how time you perceive it when you're dreaming or if you're, I don't know, maybe really tired or, or as you said, maybe you wake up and think it's the, the following day and you're in the same day. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. It's, it's quite an odd. It's quite, quite an odd thing as far as making sense out of things, sort of thing. And that 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 um, pepper uh, that chase, yeah, that was to me was really odd. And there was one part of the, on nearly a, a thing of, uh, when I think when she was going to when the cat appears again and asks her what happened um, to the pig in the end. Right. I don't know if you remember that. It was a baby and then turned into a pig and ran away. Mm, and the cat asked, Yeah, and the cat asked, what happened with that baby? And they said, it turned into a pig. And they said, ah, oh, I knew that something like that would happen. I don't know. For me, that was really strange. Not any more stranger yeah. than the Queen's Croquet game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but another thing I find with Alice is that she doesn't seem to spend a lot of time traveling. She kind of goes from one world to the next. It's like, you know, after the baby thing, she turns a corner and she's at the Mad, Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Yeah. And then she turns a corner and she's, you know, you know, and then she ends up, you know, fi- finding the white rabbit again. And then, you know, and then she turns, the, you know, turns another corner and she, these worlds just all the reality, you know, it's not like they're, and each landscape is totally different. It's like they're yeah. not like you know, it's not you know they're all in the same landscape. They're all like like I guess it's been like going on set of a movie and there's different sets and you keep going to these. Different yeah, sets. well, yeah, that's a good analogy. That mm-hmm. that that is. Okay. Sort of like oh, what, walking through Universal Studios, I guess. <laughs> what yeah. do you What do you think about that part of the? Oh, I don't know how to pronounce these. The grief, griefen, and the the tart, the tor- the turtle. That was really weird. <laughs> so was the lobster. Yeah, <laughs> the lobster. The chicken. I know. I mean, um, the, you know what Vicky was saying about the croquet party. I mean, using live flamingos to hit live hedgehogs. Yeah. <laughs> Where did he come up with this stuff? I mean, he, what a vivid imagination, seriously. 
You know, the, the book has been in print all this time still. It has never gone out of print. And it's, I can it's, understand it's, 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 it's a basic about, classic forever and ever. Well, I think he's done that thing that Pixar's done, you know, basically made a children's story for adults as well. So, yeah. you know, children can read yeah. it and get an inspiration out of it. But at the same time, adults like us are reading it and we're probably feeding so much into it that God knows of it. Well, like I said, everybody tried to psychoanalyze it and over-sexualize it or under whatever it, and I think they're just overthinking it. I think somebody just wrote Mm -hmm. a really cool story. I don't, you know, I'm sure there was a few undertones of what he was thinking in there, Mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, it was just a cool story he wrote for somebody he loved. Well, it's a bit like some of the symbolism. I mean, you know, some of the symbolism, like the garden that he's trying to get into, could be, right. you know, at the same time, you got to realize that Christian values are very big in it. Very you know, big. Well, supposedly, yeah. Christian values are always big out in the open, but behind it, behind the wherever, the, you know, the curtain, everybody's doing what they want anyway. Yeah, but I'm saying like, but you find it in a lot of the literature at this time, like maybe the garden represents the Garden of Eden, where Alice is trying to get into the Garden of Eden. Could be, you know, so you have that thing where, you know, she spends her whole time trying to get into this garden, doesn't she? Yeah. She gets, you know, she, 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 you know, and even like when she's in this closed room and let's sit there and say that she has this pool of tears and her, she takes a glimpse into the garden. She wants the key to get in the garden. She, she grows small, gets big, um, but she never actually gets in the garden. She starts crying these river tears next thing you know she's on the ocean shore somewhere (laughs) (laughs) well they think that this might have been because she's trying to um focus or that's representing experience of desire i don't know who wrote this stuff i'm just regurgitating it in Mm. that alice focuses her simply represent the experience wait she she wants to the symbolic meanings work together underscore alice's desire to hold on to her feelings of childlike innocence that she must relinquish as she matures Maybe Alice just doesn't want to grow up, basically. Well, that's possible. I mean, none of us want to grow up, really. Well, it's it one- seems like her mother's kind of, you know, you know, trying to make her, you know, be a lady is- kind of thing. Yeah. Know? It's really interesting what you say, because there's one part that I have marked in the book, and now, now I don't, that she was talking about this, that she was thinking that if she was going to grow up, you know, because she had, um, I think she, she drank, something she right. said oh wow if i grow up i won't have to go back to school yeah kind of something like that and then she said but well but i won't be I'm kind of like she's oh, i won't have to go to school but at the same time it's like she did as you said keith she grew up but not in like in maturing she was just grabbing size well, don't you think that's kind of normal when we're kids remember when you're a kid well i remember when i was a kid i couldn't yeah. wait to get older yeah i yeah, can't yeah. wait to be an adult so i can live here and i can live there and i can do whatever i want you and know, then you I realize can't... that no <laughs> now you know it's it adulthood is far overrated than what i thought it was going to be mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just rather well, back it, to being a kid. it's really interesting you know when i when i finished secondary school you know i have to well then choose where I was going to study for uni, and I really didn't know. So I used to go to um, to see a psychologist. That is kind of like, basically what you talk, and blah, blah, blah. She helped you with some exercise to maybe give you... No, she said, look, I'm not going to tell you. You will. You need to study on our law. But she said, well, look, according to what we have been uh, chatting about, probably you will be good at this list of things, yeah. right? according to your interest and all that. And I remember that once she, once she, she, 
there were several questions and one said childhood childhood is the best part of your life and okay. i i remember and i remember i said well i don't know i mean i can't say it now and she said why and i said well because to be able to to answer that question i think you should be like you can answer that question when you are like oh no really really old right because i don't know what's going to happen in the future maybe i don't know something really really good happens on tomorrow that changed my life completely and if you put you compare it to the childhood that I don't know that, that i have probably is really awesome right well i, I guess you... not, i mean it's quite interesting because we've interviewed quite a few people like um Dinah Manoff she sat there and said that she wants she won a Tony award for you know portraying for a show that she did on Broadway and she said that at the time she didn't really appreciate it and I think that I think what we tend to do is we always chase in the future yeah. hoping the future comes yeah. we're always chasing tomorrow Precisely. and then we're always letting, we're always letting the past weigh us down but we never actually appreciate the present that we're living the, the exactly. right now and then we're not you know that moment so i think I guess, that as you get older you start to learn to appreciate even said that though as you get older you appreciate the moments more as i was just telling leandro it's like remember when you were younger we all wanted to be older you know women want to get older we want a figure we want boobs we want to marry prince charming you know <laughs> we watch all those diabolical disney princesses then just like then then we realize they're is no Disney prince, <laughs> you know, so you <laughs> grow up thinking all this idyllic stuff, but well, because I mean, you look at things from an adolescent point of mind, anyways, it's like you know, and I think that you know, what you you know, what we tend to do is like, okay, you know, as you were saying, that when we get you know, oh, my life will be mine, I can do what the hell I want, blah, 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 exactly. but not realizing it's like, no, you're always kind of be kind of gonna be trapped anyway, no matter how old you are. You know, and, and when, you know, and to be honest, the only time that you really are free is when you're elderly and then you're kind of trapped inside of all, all, all body. body. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> but, but, but then you, but then you always spend looking at your past, like, oh, my childhood was, you know, fantastic or great or whatever. Oh, we had fun. We had not a care to worry about. But during that time period, you're always worried about something. It's kind of. Yeah. Especially you know, you know, like I want to get, I want to be older. I want to do this. I want to do that. When you're younger, even yeah. though you have, you have, you know, you're having fun and can do anything like that. Then when you get, you know, then when you get, you know, past puberty and once you go into um, high you know, school, young adulthood, college. then you realize, oh my God, like, you know, I may be in charge of whatever I want to do and I can do whatever I want to, but now I actually have to pay for and work for this. Yeah. <laughs> well, Which I totally sucks. <laughs> I imagine is. It's connected that, for example, when you are a kid, there are th certain things that you can do because you don't have any way to make them happen. Like kind of like now I, for example, no, I can choose to buy something or not. When you are a kid, you depend on your parents on that, right? So it's like that mm -hmm. that part is restricted, right? So it's like but you also, but you also realize that when you're a kid, that though your parents are providing for you. You're still, to. you're still learning about cause and effect, aren't you? So now when you're an adult, okay, it's like, okay, yeah, I might want to buy this, this Blu-ray from Amazon sort of thing, but 
I got to make sure when I buy that Blu-ray, it's not going to affect me paying my gas bill, my food. <laughs> everything else because yeah. like, you know, I can't eat the Blu-ray, but I'm going to have to have some, you know, have that dinner later on. But well, yeah. it doesn't, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, but at least now you have that choice, you know, and it, and it be, like, depends on you and no one else. And you know that, for example, say, okay, I don't know, I won't pay the rent this month. And I and I will buy whatever I like. That's right. Yeah. And, right. and then go moaning about how life is so unfair and how much of a victim you are when you kicked out. <laughs> like someone always told me, there should be no guilt in shopping. Yeah, but you got to pay your rent. Precisely. <laughs> Everything comes back to bite you in the butt in the end, anyway. So. Yeah, I know. There's. I don't think there's anything or any. Well, any. Well, mostly bad decisions always came back to bite me in the ass. But I mean, that's just the way of things. Now, here's a question about you, about some of the symbolism in here. Um, mm -hmm. I'm reading this from Spark Notes. The caterpillar's mushroom. It says here, like the garden, the caterpillar's mushroom also has multiple symbolic meanings. Yeah. Some readers and critics view the caterpillar as a sexual threat. It's phallic symbol of sexual virality. The caterpillar's mushroom connects to this symbolic meaning. Alice must master the properties of the mushroom to gain control over fluctuating size, which represents the bodily uh, frustrations that accompany puberty. Others view the mushroom as a psychedelic hallucinogen that compounds Alice's surreal and distorted perception of Wonderland. Yeah, I Do said you think that the earlier. caterpillar that's is a sexual... That's where predator. I think they're overthinking it. That's what I said. They were trying to sexualize some of this. And I don't see where the sex should come into this at all. I don't think it's a phallic thing. I think everybody wants to think everything's phallic. This is phallic. That's phallic. I mean... He doesn't look phallic or even appear phallic. He doesn't even a sexual threat in any kind. Because he did every, the only thing he says is who are you? Yeah. Like asking her like who who do you think you are? Yeah, he's and how kind is of, it, yeah. And how he's is that a sexual way too threat? much. We know that. But other than that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um to me when I read the the book no, didn't came across any idea like that. For me in in a way is my perspective is like is the only character in, in this book that for me re, kind of represents a bit of wisdom because he asked her who she was and she was thinking about this earlier in the book and then he kind of like like asked her again and I don't know I mean the only it kind of it also kind of reminds me of like um I was watching. I was watching a play called Boys in the Band, and one of oh, the, one of the characters. But one of the characters in there goes, "Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who are you trying to be?" And that's right. what the caterpillar kind of reminds me of. It's like, "Who are you? And who do you think you are?" Well, do you think because, he's your subconscious as opposed to a phallic symbol? Because I think it's subconscious. This, this, in other research, other than Spark Notes. I mean, they ask the same question about the. Someone's always got to slip a phallic symbol in there. I'm sorry. There's always mm -hmm. a Freudian person in there somewhere. But I mean, maybe that is her own conscious. Try to think of her, you know, this little girl maturing, you know, what do you want to be? Who are you? Who are you? I question. mean, I don't know what, the, I mean, the hookah at that time was, um, they were smoking uh, Turkish Opium marijuana, houses which was part, was, it was part of the culture in the hookah. And I have to then say that uh, if you know anyone that's really high, it's very rare that they're very they have any energy to be sexual anyway. Yeah, they're, totally just, <laughs> they're kind of laid back on. They tend to talk a little bit too much or not talk at all, but they tend to be you know more of their subconscious. They're and I would sit there and say the hookah 
Well, I would say that the hookah represents your subconsciousness because when you get high, you go more into your subconsciousness. And the Either Catholic that or he was just a caterpillar <laughs> sitting on a mushroom that she was discussing things with in her dream. Like I'm saying, you know, the, when you, I was looking at all the research and I kept coming to that one conclusion. Everybody overthought a little kid's book. I mean, maybe he had some things going on in his head because he liked to hang out with little girls. We may never know. <laughs> Two hundred years later, but he could even he could have been completely asexual. Yeah, like a house plant. Yeah. Well, I don't know, and also it's like if you think like in in the I don't know, but like old days, but it's like kind of like imagine all the people that kind of used to be like I don't know, like with wisdom was like smoking pipes, you know, reading and um, smoking. Everybody smoked back then, like. Pipes but for example, that look, and I have it here in front of me. For example, uh, Sigmund Freud, there are a lot of pictures. He's with a pipe, you know, thinking. Yeah, that's there used, true. There used to be a time, I don't know exactly the times, but when, you know, like men used to get together in coffee shops, right? I went to Vienna mm. and it's like, it used to be like get together and chat about different things and the world smoking and all that. So I imagine, I don't know, I connect it maybe with more, more than that idea that rather like something sexual. I think well, that's reading too I mean, much. Another thing that Caterpillar gives Alice, which no one else in, in Wonderland gives, which I think is quite interesting, or which I came up with, is that the Caterpillar gives Alice the mushroom and gives her, lets her be in control of her own destiny or in control of her own body size, right. depending on what size she eats on, where no one else was giving her the option. The Caterpillar gives her an option that, you listen, you can take control of the situation here. Here's the mushroom. One side will do this. The other side will do that. Right. And that's the only character that actually gives her options. No other the only fixation I've seen in this whole whole scenario is size. She's small. She's big. She's small. She's big. I mean, you know that that might have had some kind of you know maybe growing up, and you know you are growing up. You will eventually lose your innocence, kind of thing. Maybe that was an undercurring theme, but I didn't see any. Yeah, but I also found that, any of this. But I also sit there and say that every time that she does. When, when she does get larger, she finds herself um, causing harm to others when she's By larger, accident. whether she's almost drowning the mouse or the simple fact that she starts hitting everyone with her giant, her giant hands when she's caught in the rabbit's house mm-hmm. or the simple fact that she is a threat to the pigeon's babies. Um, when yeah. her head grows because <laughs> she's a serpent. But then when she's smaller, She's brought herself down to size of everyone else. And that's when, when she's, well, she's the same size small. as everyone else around her. Or she's, yeah. you know, incredible shrinking woman size small. But when she when she does become the size of like, you know, the caterpillar or whatever, the things around her more proportionate to the one things around her, then she find then you find that she she becomes a bit obtuse about things and a bit rude. It's kind of weird because when she's, you know, she's either being a threat to people. Or she's being threatened oh. when she becomes the same size. But normally <laughs> right. she's becoming threatened at the same size because her mouth tends to get her in trouble a lot. Yeah, we all, some you of know, us just have to have an affinity for that particular. Well, <laughs> yeah, we, we, all, we all do it, but we just call, we don't do it through Facebook. So, well, <laughs> no, we never make mistakes on social media. So, some of the important quotes, I think, is um, quite, which pretty much gives you the whole feeling of Alice. And one of the famous quotes is, when Alice says at the very beginning of the book, who in the world am I? 
And she says that as she enters Wonderland, which I think is quite telling, basically, is that, you know, we do have a seven-year-old girl who really doesn't know her place in the world. You know, as you said, as we talked about, your parents provide for your parents, give you this ideology of what you are, but at the same time, you really don't know who you are or what you are. And to open the book and have her actually enter this world like that, you know, it's quite interesting. I mean, so it makes you make, maybe that Lewis Carroll pretty much maybe had more of a hand or understanding what he was writing to be, you know, than we think he did. Right. Well, he was a very, was he, he was a, he was a studied person. It seems to be a, most of the people of his class system, you know, or his class, well, it was a class system and no one wants to admit that, but um, he, he, they had the opportunity to be educated. So I'm sure he knew how to put pen to paper clearly. And he had a brain, he mm-hmm. could think. So he was setting his thoughts on paper you know uh, yeah i think this is this is really interesting but I don't know, for me and this this question you know that um who am i i used to watch one of my favorite um programs and they said that we kind of like it's one of the hardest questions to ask ourselves it's like a, probably the question that we carry uh Forever. the the oh, yeah over the through the, the whole life of your life yeah and then it's really interesting because at the beginning, for example, of this promise, they says like, for example, said, who is this person? Is this person that is on a really good uh, with certain pe- people, but really bad with other people? And and it's like, the thing is like, is we are not the same all the time with every person in every situation. It's like, it, and you could say, maybe, I don't know, maybe imagine that I, I met you, I don't know having a problem in the supermarket and you will think, you will think, oh, this person is fucking horrible. Sorry. And then maybe, <laughs> sorry. And then, and then probably you, you, you met the same person in another situation and, and you would think, oh, this person is really cool. And what changed? You never changed. It was you the same time. But you didn't know them. I mean, I've had that happen. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This guy's a real so-and-so. And it's like, wow, you get to know that person. It's like, wow, this is going to end up being good friends. You know, you just never oh. know. For example, no, it's, it's not, it's not. For example, the same person when he's working, that when he's with hanging out with the friends, and it what changes the context, right? And you be under under pressure, or you being not under pressure, being like chill. And so it's, I don't know. I, I, that's why I found this book really interesting. Hard not think, to find it interesting. I think um, another thing that I like is the Cheshire Cat. Or she tells Alice that everyone's mad here. Well, the cat's the only one that acknowledges his own madness or her madness. Well, another thing is the Cheshire cat's the only one that basically is not in danger of anything. Because he can disappear. <laughs> yeah, he disappears at will. But, but, he has, but, he, but he seems to be the working knowledge of what, what's going on here. The caterpillar, to me, is, gives Alice the tools to be in control of her own destiny and ask her the questions like, who do you, you know, basically, who do you think you are? Where the Cheshire cat gives her the rules of Wonderland that, you know, everyone's mad here. You know, every, everything's nonsense here. We're all you know? mad here. And pretty much is like, if you want to make sense of it, realize this and you might be able to get carry on. So now what about the queen of hearts? Apparently the queen of hearts symbolizes the conflict in Alice's heart. That Alice is ruled by, not by thought, but by emotion. That's really interesting. So, 
And like your heart, like if you're caught by, if you're, if you rule, if you rule by your heart and then instead of your mind, sometimes you make choices that you shouldn't be making because your heart, your emotions take over. For I always you. think of Helen Bonham when people ask about the queen of hearts. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but if you look at, if you look at life t- today, whether it's politics or whatever you're looking at, and if you're emotionally involved in that, what you realize is that if you let your emotions overtake you, you don't actually learn anything about anything that opposes what your emotions are telling you. No. And so, so the queen of hearts spends her whole time with this idealized way of what she wants everything. And if, it, if you don't agree with what her heart or the emotions are telling you is off of their heads. And you notice that people who are actually very, who let their emotions rule their world <laughs> is that they have a quite a close, they have quite a closed world because basically if you don't fit into what, what their thought, their emotional thought processes that they cut you out. Wow, there's a lot of that going on these days. <laughs> I see. Well, you know, I, I love this. It's really interesting because reading this book, well, finishing this book this week, to, talking about this right now and things that have happened to me over the week. I have a friend that said, you know, Leo, the problem is that you're, uh, as you said, maybe too emotionally attached to things that probably if you think it in a mathematical way, right, it's like that, really clear. And I was chatting about this to my sister and I said, well, but it's really difficult to sometimes not to be kind of emotionally involved when something is touching you in a in something about an aspect of your life, right? And really hard to, to make that decision of, you know, let's say, okay, this goes up to here and this then i have to car- change the the view and see it this way then i have a, a chat later to my sister and said look we need to approach this problem we try to think it like in a mathematical way you know like this has to be sort of like this way and that's all otherwise it's too much problem and yeah well if you want like to look the- at if you want to look at it from an abstract way taking two things on two sides of the um of the spectrum here If you look at someone who lives in a very um, clinical, you know, world or an apartment, basically that's uncluttered, a clutter-free apartment. If you realize that they have a, they they're not so much led by their emotions or led by a very analytical mind with the way that they keep everything. But if you look at the other end of the spectrum, which is a hoarder, a hoarder becomes a hoarder because they're led by their emotions and they can't let anything go. And that's this normally a hoarder normally happens when a, they they've suffered a, a big loss, whether it's a loss of a, a, a very close family member right. or a child or so true, like so true. And they become a hoarder because what happens is that they let their emotions rule for them. And so they can't let anything go. And I guess, you know, if you look at, the queen of hearts in this instance, I guess that kind of does fit that, you know, I have to say out of all the little symbolisms and everything that other people come up with, I say, I think the queen of hearts one probably makes a lot more sense than some of the other stuff that's been, you know, that we've discussed that other people come up with, you know, it's a lot better than the phallic, you know, caterpillar getting yeah. high on mushroom. Yeah. But, 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 you know, the thing is that the queen of hearts basically is led by her, you know, her thought process. And if you do basically like you either with me or you're against me and that's it. And that's, but that's an emotional thing. because that's not a mental thing. You know, if you, if you use your mind, well, the way things work sort of thing, you kind of don't get caught, you don't get caught up in these traps and these, you know, especially on social media, let's sit there and say that what we got is, you know, we have a classic war, the, the, the far left and the far right. 
And the far left seem to be covered, be, be led by their emotions in this emotional way of how things should be run. And they're the first people that if you don't agree with them, they shut the door, they defriend you and stuff like this. The far right basically seem to think of everything very logical, not logical, but very analytical. And they think of it one way. And though it might not be the best way either, the thing is, is that, but they are, but they, but using their head, they tend to, they tend to go find, I don't want to, I might not agree with the way you think, but fine, we can still be friends because at the end of the day, psychologically, right. it's good to have that difference going. Right. Where basically what they probably should do is be a bit more, be led by your emotions and by your brain and having exactly. them side back and forth exactly. with each other. And you would have been, you become a well Common ground. Mm-hmm. Meet in the middle. Yeah. Precisely. But I don't think the queen was going to meet in the middle. <laughs> no, because she's always, but she's always, but she's always led by her emotions, isn't it? Yeah, her, her, yeah. Well, the queen of hearts, and and your, and your heart. Yeah, that's true. Her. Queen of hearts. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah. So. And there was there was one part that I think was the the king, that he said to Alice or to someone, "Well, don't worry, because she won't kill everyone, because otherwise there will be no no one else to kill, and there will be no um, cards left." So it was right. like you know, if you see that like, she was saying off with the head, but. Then later, like nothing was happening. Well, we he never does try the- to be the voice of reason because he does tell the queen to put Alice on trial for the tarts being mis- disappeared. What happened yeah. to the tarts? I don't remember. No one knows. Were there even tarts there? I mean, okay, good. I thought I missed something. <laughs> okay. No, it just because the thing is, it just seems that basically, um, you know, basically all that all she wanted was the trial i don't think it cared what the trial was it's just that you know i'm the queen i'm gonna have a trial sort of thing um but but we also find that you know when the duchess and the mad hatter give their testimony it doesn't make any sense at all but then again you know if someone if you're if something happens and you don't have a person ruling you who's ruling through their mind and just ruling through their emotions you're kind of always gonna be on your toes all the time around her because you just don't know what way she's gonna go or what way she's gonna be sort of thing and there's that scare factor even to the fact that her husband basically is you know that's the classic day story where you have like this really strong woman and this really weak husband and the and you have like this really wimpy guy and this really strong woman and you kind of got that which is quite interesting because you see that in a lot of sitcoms and movies and stuff don't you yeah. you have like this, and you have like this little wheezy guy sort of thing whether it's um mom pa kettle or something like that you know i got mom pa kettle i love those old store those old movies of mom pa kettle they're a riot my kettle is such an ornery ornery (laughs) old woman (laughs) with a heart of pure gold at the center oh she's got a heart of gold too that yeah but um but yeah i mean i think i mean alice in has got so many different adventures and different little parts but it is it's kind of like it's kind of one thing like when I was reading it sort of thing. And then when I thought about it, I thought about it, like if, if you put like a, a mist over all of it, you know, like, like, you know, when you like see like a, an old TV show or movie or an old film and they basically go into a dream and everything's like covered and it's like fog. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at Alice through that fog, it kind of makes them, it seems a lot more sensical. It's something that you don't really need to see in HD or read in HD. You kind of just need to be like, okay. <laughs> kind of. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to cut to Alice in Wonderland, the 1951 film. 
It's an American animated musical fantasy film produced by Walt Disney Productions and based on the Alice books by Lewis Carroll. The 13th release of Disney's animated features, the film premiered in London on July 26, 1951, and in New York City on July 28, 1951. The film um, features the voices of Catherine Beaumont, who would later play Wendy in Peter Pan, um, as Alice, Sterling Holloway as the Cheshire Cat, who later become um, Winnie the Pooh, Yep. Um, Vernon Felton as the Queen of Hearts and Ed Wynn as the Mad Hatter Walt Disney's first attempted unsuccessful to adapt Alice to an animated feature film during the 1930s and revived the idea in the 1940s. The film was originally intended to be a live action animated film however Disney decided to make it an all animated feature in 1946 The film was considered a disappointment on its initial release leading to Walt Disney showing it on television as one of the first episodes of his TV series Disneyland It proved to be a very successful um, on the television. It was eventually re-released in theaters, which proved to be a massively successful. The film becomes even more successful through merchandising subsequent home video releases. While the film was critically panned on its initial release, it has since been regarded as one of Alice's, one of Disney's greatest animated classics, notably one of the biggest cult classics in an animation medium, as well as the best film adaptation of Alice. Um, of course, um, Disney would go on to a live action adaption of Carol's work and the animated film Alice in Wonderland, directed by Tim Burton, was released in 2010, and a sequel to the film Alice Through the Looking Glass, directed by James Bobbin, was released in 2016. We're going to cut to the trailer and be right back to discuss Alice in Wonderland. into an exciting, colorful, wonderfully new world as Walt Disney brings to glowing life the adventures of Alice in Wonderland based on Lewis Carroll's beloved story. There are wonderful tunes for your heart, wonderful thrills for your eyes as you share with Alice the wonderful things she sees, the wonderful friends she meets. Tweedledum and Tweedledee, the walrus and the carpenter, the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, the Cheshire Cat, the White Rabbit, and many more. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. No time to say hello. Goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. I give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. A very merry birthday. To me? To you. A very merry birthday. To me? For you. Little bird with butterflies kiss the tulips and the sun is like a toy balloon. There are gifts up in the morning glories in the golden Welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and we discussed the <laughs> one version of Alice in Wonderland by Disney. So, Vix, what are your thoughts of this animated classic? 
I thought it was a lot of fun. I always think this is a lot of fun. I love the old animated classics from Walt Disney. I think they're a lot of fun, even though you got to be seven to watch them now, I guess. <laughs> so I'm told. But uh, uh, I really like this one a lot. Uh, I guess, remember we were talking about it, how it gained popularity in the 70s due to the drug culture fandom at the time. That's <laughs> when we got these ideas that he was on LSD or tripping, you know, when he wrote the story. I mean, he could have been on something. Who knows? Laudanum, you know, like we said, opium dens were big back then. Uh, It did receive an Academy Award for Best Original Score. I see that it had a lot of hostile, uh, according to uh, IMDB, it had a lot of hostile uh, reviews, especially in the UK. I guess the UK was not having it. Um, Even Walt Disney that said didn't like the film. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking because it was it was it was quite the children's. It's, it's it's timeless you know i mean who doesn't who doesn't show their kids alice in wonderland you know or, or peter pan or any of those old you know classics they're just fabulous what about your thoughts leandro what are your thoughts of alice in wonderland the animated episode? um well <laughs> it happened to me when i was a kid I, I tried to watch these movies several times and i always was falling asleep <laughs> Well, you don't like cartoons, Leandro. (laughs) Uh, No, I like, but I don't know. I I, I don't know why, but you know, when when you try to remember, hold on, have have I seen the end of this movie and I can't remember? And then uh, she wakes up, you know, she looks through the keyhole. (laughs) <laughs> I know she's sleeping and then she goes and wakes up. I wish I could do that sometimes. And no, I, I really enjoy it. And then um what I like also is how when they made the movie, you know, there there are parts that are not they're not, for example, in, they cut from the book, for example, like the pepper part is not in, yeah. is not in the story and, and other little parts like uh, the griffin and and the turtle they're not there no and and I like how they they sold out the end when when she there was a thing that she wanted to grab a, a cup of tea I think yeah and that turns into like a all like a sea and then start to see the door so yeah I really like it I think it's really clever how they adapted and and it, it's really interesting because I don't know the book that you have read but the one that I have has some cartoons, uh, pictures, sorry. I think they were all illustrated, most of and them. They, yeah, and they look really similar when you when you watch the movie. More or less, they, the things look like... Um, kind of the same. Similar. Yeah. At, at the same time, I imagine probably if, if we would have never seen the movie before reading the book, probably would have... Uh, it's for me, when I was reading... Uh, the the book all the time I was remembering the movie, you know, it's like and it was like this is exactly how I w- I, w- I imagine it now. Mm-hmm. I really really enjoyed. I enjoyed more the book, but it was really cool. The book was really good. It was it was an easy yeah. read, like you said previous. It wasn't that yeah. bad at all. And you know, it, it, he does write with. I don't know if it's I don't I don't know if it's not it's not like Byron's English, but he 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 writes. I guess it's a Victorian. English mm-hmm. he you know puts his word down to translation but uh I I just I still try and find it hard. he wrote an original I guess they destroyed it did you read that somewhere I think he destroyed the original that he had it was and then he wrote a more in-depth novel which is what he oh wow no I didn't know and he I, added things like the Alice's dream I think is the original 
the original book, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And he, he, I think he added, he had an original, like, like a big rough draft or something. And he had an original. He 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 wrote a better version where he added like the tortoise and in in the the lobster and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a hybrid of um, Alice in Wonderland and Alice through the Looking Glass because so because yeah. we do get we get the Twiddle D and Twiddle Dumb character, which are not in the original book. Yeah. And we get the and we get the story of the war the walrus and the oysters, which is kind oh, of yeah that story. You know, the first time <laughs> I saw this when I was a little kid, that really disturbed me. And then when I was watching it again, I was still disturbed because you got these cute little baby oysters with their little shells looking like it's you know a baby hat. And then you got the mom yeah. in their little oyster bed, and they think that they're getting invited out, and they're all sitting there, and you got this big fat slob walrus. It's just nothing but ooh, they're both scumbags. And you know, next time you come back, and all these little baby oysters have been just totally ingested. It was like a horrible <laughs> part of this cartoon. It was like, why did they put that in there? God. I mean, my views of this film is I love the animation, I love the characters. Beautiful. And I have to sit there and say that when you look at the original characters that were illustrated in the original Alice in Wonderland, they're they are a lot in common. They Disney didn't yeah, change I the agree. illustration. They gave it they gave they gave it a, a Disney twist to it as far as that, but they're they're pretty much quick on there. I as a film, I really don't like the film. <laughs> I find it, the film I, film like the 2010 film. The not no the the the, the 51 film animated, and the reason being is because I don't I think like it's it. one of Disney's strongest. As far as, I think the well, song they knew are, that he didn't like it, but well, it did it, well. Well, I, but did, I think it did, did well. I mean, because they they kept they kept showing it on television, which I think helped as well. You know, but but for me, it's the music's. None of the music's memorable whatsoever. And I remember it, the song. If you ever look at Disney soundtracks, if you ever look at Disney soundtracks, where they I like a lot of songs in from Disney, Alice in Wonderland songs are never in any of those sort of things. No, you're right. You're right. Well, they're not really, you know, they're not like peppy and stuff like Cinderella or Snow White, you know, where you got the seven dwarves piping up, you know, it's different. Yeah, but I'm just saying that they're, so they're not memorable sort of things. So, and, and there's a lot of, this is one of the most, this has more songs in it than any other Disney feature. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was look. I was watching a documentary on Disney Plus about this movie, and this has more songs than any other Disney animated feature. And we're talking about more than Beauty and the Beast as well. Well, oh, it did wow. win an award for the music, though. Yeah, and I, I don't know, but I don't know what it was against. I mean, what what it was against must have been pretty crap because. <laughs> I just well, I'm gonna say, what year was it? Fifty one soundtracks. <laughs> and I have to say that, but can, I mean, can you can you can you just think of one that sticks in your head through any of this? It doesn't help that Alice can't sing. I mean, Catherine Bowman yeah. is not a singer. We figured that out, sort of thing. They could have used a voice double for her, maybe. For the yeah, singing. you're right on that. I have to agree. Well, and, and it has that well, Disney chorus going on all the way through everything, which I always hated that Disney chorus. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if I, if, as you said, if, if I try to think a a song from the movie, I can't remember anything apart of a song that I'm going to do that is like, ooh, like so like sad because it's like she she can't find a way and all. Maybe that's why there's no like, mm-hmm. yeah, there is a moment of like kind of like happiness when she's like with the the tea party, yeah, right? and, and all the kettle doing those sounds and that's really clear, but. I'm- 
they have a song the, of the unbirthday song, and I still can't tell you what it sounds like. I can't. Remember. I couldn't tell you about the unbirthday song either. Oh, I love that. I, I love that. <laughs> I love the scene, I mean, but I can't. No. I can't tell you any of the songs. I can't. It's I can't. Like, I really, I really one happy birthday to. party to you. To me, I love that. But <laughs> I think is. I think that was a really clever way to talk about what they were chatting about when they did start to have the that party. Mm. Right. That I think if for a if you try to understand that reading the book when Ooh. you're a kid, you you won't get it. It but was like up that, against for music the great Caruso where Mario Lanza plays uh the tenor. That that was pretty pretty good. I watched yeah. that. I that, it was not bad. My mother likes Mario Lanza. Don't go there. She might be listening. <laughs> yeah. Showboat on the Riviera and American in Paris. And let me see. That was everything. Well, American that was, Paris, that I'm surprised was, that, that it, it won against American Paris. I'll say that because that's Gershwin, isn't it? Yeah. And they had dramatic musical score was David and Bathsheba, Death of a Salesman, A Place in the Sun with, you know, Gregory Peck where him and, you know, Clint Eastwood. shoot it out. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, Montgomery, wasn't it? Yeah. And there was, who was it? Oh, gosh. What was her name? Elizabeth Taylor was she in a place in the sun? Was it? Yeah, maybe it was. She played the Mexican uh, love interest, I believe. Quo Vadis and a streetcar named Desire. Okay. So that was going on musically for 1951 in Hollywood. And yeah. do you know why Disney didn't like it? It's not that they don't like it. I find that what I no, like. No, 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 not you, not you. Walt Disney. <laughs> Walt Disney. He, I think that yeah. he said it wasn't one of his most popular. Um, what did he say? He didn't like the film, although all they said is Walt Disney himself didn't like the film, though it did receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Score. Yeah, but it doesn't say why. I, I mean, think he didn't that, like the graphics. I think if they had the. I think yeah. if it looked more like I Fantasia, I think it probably would have been better. Because Fantasia is kind of a an odd drug-fueled world anyway. Well, yeah, Fantasia's pretty cool, too. I don't know anybody that doesn't like Fantasia, so I don't really know if something's wrong but, with that person. But there are parts of Alice in Wonderland I do like. I love it when um, the the flowers, and the way the flowers look, and she's yeah. calling them the flowers. And I love all the characters, and I love the way that they're voiced, and I love all that. And I love scenes in it. But yeah. as a whole movie, I found myself going, Ugh. Every time they come out singing, I was like, oh, I mean, I watched it this morning, actually. So I was like, <laughs> and I thought, oh, this would be a good one to watch in the morning because I can just let it wash over me. And I found myself like every time the songs came on in those. And, you know, when you get soprano singing at high pitch first thing in the morning they're, they're, and the, the voices are quite. <laughs> oh, here you go. This goes <laughs> along the lines of what Keith was saying about Alice as a little girl um, said, uh, according to whatever research on Google. This has a self-canceling effect on the final product, according to Disney. Seems to have agreed that he stated the film wasn't great because there was no, quote, warmth in Alice's character. Yeah. Girl. Yeah, but there isn't a warmth in her, actually. I mean, I, I can't say, I mean, Alice is one of those, she's a symbolic. they're also talking about, understand that little Alice suffers from hallucinations and personality disorders. <laughs> white rabbit from general anxiety disorder i'm late the cheshire cat is schizophrenic <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. these are like questions people ask about alice in wonderland mm. it's yeah, a medical yeah. narrative so much inside alice in wonderland for medical humanities 
But I really don't think that um, it was banned in China and other parts of the world because some people objected to animal characters being able to use human language. They felt this put animals on the same level of humans. I did not know that. Okay, I'm done. No, because animals are higher than us. So. <laughs> well, I guess they didn't do very well in China then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I just happened to read We're that. Happy for you. Yeah. But Disney, I mean, I think um, she had no warmth. There was no warmth to the characters. Let's face it; it was kind of a cold clinical movie because the mother and the sister don't really show much love, do they? It's like, come on, move along, kind of well, thing. The thing is, is that it, I mean, this is the thing that Disney changed as well, which I'm kind of wondering why they changed this because she's not in the beginning of the movie. She's not with her sister; she's with a governess. Oh, I thought it was your mo- It is a governess. Okay. It's a governess. Right, right. Oh, you, you need to read your lessons and stuff like this. Um, that's right. Teach, you know, she's having I thought a, it was her mother. Maybe that's study, because so. of the book. Yeah. Because when the book, she's with her sister, isn't it? Because at, yeah. at the end of the book. And she um, wants pictures because, and doesn't want to go Alice goes off to have tea and the sister's thinking is there, who's older than Alice, wondering, it's like, Oh, if I could only go to Wonderland myself. Yeah. And that's the way the book ends. And and then yeah, and then and then her sister started, I think, to dream too. Yeah. So yeah. So it's kinda like, you know, kind of past, you know, past the baton sort of thing. Well, I don't I know. Mean, you know, I have a I have a feeling when I was reading that part, I thought, well, you know that there's some trees that um oh, this is hard to explain. Some trees, you know, release certain like uh fragrances, right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, what about if well, Ali fall asleep under that tree? So she was dreaming and breathing all that. That then that's what she was having dreams. And then her sister took that place, sat down there, and then carry on. I don't know. With a dream, yeah, it's possible. I mean, you did leave it kind of open ended. That may or maybe Lewis Carroll was sitting there saying that we all can dream if we let ourselves let ourselves maybe or. But then again, we don't know what the sister's dream is or what her experiences are because it, the book kind of ends there, doesn't it? Sort of thing. Yeah. So, but I also, I mean, there are a lot I like. I like when Alice like goes down the rabbit hole and it kind of goes kind of trippy, you know, like she's going down and her dress yeah. opens up and she kind of parachutes down. But then there, there is a lot of disconnect for me with Alice in the movie where as far as like, you know, it, it just seems like it. It seemed like a little bit more of a slapstick, like a, a Bugs Bunny type cartoon as far as the way the characters are. Everything was very slapstick and very like pounding each other. And <laughs> yeah. The only thing missing was the TNT blowing up here and there and <laughs> not with the road runner or whatever. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what I, I think that's why I have, I think that's why I have a problem with this because it did feel like a Warner Brothers Bugs Bunny cartoon as far as the humor is, isn't it? Very, you know, that very broad slapsticky kind of humor. Where I think that maybe if they toned it down and maybe went a little bit more of the language side of it with Alice, as far as um, all that situation goes, because the animation is brilliant. But maybe yeah. instead of making it more, instead of making it a visual slapstick comedy, maybe tone it down and make it more about the language and the conversations they're having, and make the, have the humor and the stylism come across that, because Alice. I mean, she's cold, but she doesn't really say a lot either. She's like, oh, she cries. You know what I mean? But I, she doesn't have a lot of quotable lines in this. The quotable lines come from the excess characters, like Queen of Hearts, off of their head, or who are you? I love that by the cat. Who are you? <laughs> who are you? Are you? That seemed to be your favorite part of the whole flick. 
<laughs> I mean, it was beautifully animated. I mean, let's face it. I yeah. mean, it's not. It's all about the the, the effects, the, the all the brilliant effects they have now. But when I the one thing after watching this is I kind of miss watching the old Disney stuff. You know, where they had you know the old the old pretty you know animation like Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and you know I mean oh, they're just oh. brilliant. There's a lot of things I did like about it. I mean, I said before, I like scenes in it. As far yeah. as the whole movie, mm-hmm. my mind, I was a bit bored by some of it, and some of it I liked, and some of yeah, it... Yeah, I mean, it, it it wasn't as exciting, you know? It was about a little girl. I mean, it's not my favorite Disney movie, but I didn't hate it. No, I like, as I said to Leandro, I liked it when she kind of goes in that kind of druggy thing where she falls down the rabbit hole. I love the ending at the ending of it, where, like, they're chasing after her, and they're they're doing all that. I love that part of it as well. I love the tea party aspect of it. I like it when she's trapped in the white rabbit's house. Um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, I freaking hated. I don't understand <laughs> who Tweedledee and Tweedledum are supposed to be. Well, I mean, I think maybe if I read Alice through the Looking Glass, maybe I would have more of an understanding. But because well, they're they not in the original well, they make it to be her sisters in the movie. So yeah, I, was, could, I didn't read Alice in, through the Looking Glass. I have not read that. So. No, but I mean, um, I like the movies though. I thought they were kind of fun when they made the movies out of Alice. You know, uh, they're very, very trippy. They're very I do trippy. think uh, I, this Mad Hatter, he was kind of cool at it. I mean, I liked it. Those I did. Like. Well, there's a 1970s version, a British version of Alice in Wonderland, which is another. And I don't know if you know the thing is you have the Wizard of Oz, which basically you turn into a fantastic film, and, and that I mean, and the reason why I'm comparing the two is because. The Wizard of Oz, the book is very episodic, but what they've done with the movies, they kind of taken the episode out of it and made it like a, a little journey sort like of Like an epic journey, yeah. Like an epic journey. And so they cut there's a lot cut out of the original book that's put into some right. you know, the movie. And, I don't you know, think she I've goes read up north. The Wizard of Oz yet. Well, the Wizard of Oz, I mean, she goes up north. I mean, the the the, the there's the good witch of the north, the good witch right. of the south. Um, e- uh, the east one the house lands on west one so basically you know she right. goes from like little town to little town little place and then once the witch dies she still can't get home so she has to go to the queen of the north so she goes to a place where everyone's made out of china you know china like glass the china right. um, sort of thing and, and so basically it's very episodic and so what they did is the movie they kind of like had to t- take a lot of it out and make it this movie that's one girl's journey sort of thing and then blend it all have a good old blending thing session going on. Well, they it. blended it in kind of now that you make me think about Tim Burton's adaptation because you did have two good witch, a good witch and a bad witch. Or the yeah. bad witch was technically the Queen of Hearts. And what well, I it was a, Anne Hathaway played the, the the she was kind of a corny witch, white witch. <laughs> she was yeah. a little you, corny, you know. But, but you know, but when you look at Tim Burton's, I have I mean the animation and the characters used, whether it's Helen the Bottom Cards, Queen of Hearts, looking like the original animation of the original book. I thought they were fantastic, you know, but it's really hard to find the story of Alice in Wonderland and Tim Burton version, really. The girl's right. name's Alice, though she's like 25. And, you know, it's nothing, it's almost like watching Dinah, Dinah Ross and the Wiz and she's 40, you know, playing like a 30 <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I think. You know, but I don't think there's ever been a real successful Alice in Wonderland. Anyway, I, to be honest, I don't know if he could. I don't know if he could successfully film a a really good adapted version of this book and keep true to the spirit of the book. Have you because seen there is a, another another movie 
from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, I can't remember exactly if it is called like that. Uh, I think it's not from Disney. It's another director. Um, the actress is, re is really famous. I can't remember the name. Have you ever seen it? Uh, no, because you can't remember the name. <laughs> you give me a title, it's Alice, No, well, it's, no it's, Alice, it's Alice in Wonderland, but I think it was 1996, 1999, on, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember seeing little parts of that movie once, and it was, it was now that I have read the book, it was really like, like kind of like following the story how it is, right? Mm -hmm. There's a TV movie from 1999. They know we have like a lot of like guest actors appearing in like really small parts coming in. I'd have to say my all-time favorite version of Alice Wonderland is Tom Petty's Don't Come Around Here No More. <laughs> yeah, that was my good. <laughs> Don't the Come video. Around Here No More. <laughs> um, I think, you know, but I also think because of the dreamlike quality in it and stuff like this, you kind of have to do it kind of I mean, it would be quite interesting if they gave this to someone who's kind of like one of those fringe directors who are out there, like visually, like I'm not like Tim Burton visually, but I'm talking about like someone who's really messed, messed up with drugs, you know, and, like doing like a drug movie. And I, <laughs> I think you probably can get a really good Alice in Wonderland from that because they would be able to. I don't think that you can make a, a coherent story out of Alice in Wonderland because it's very episodic sort of thing. And the thing is, you know, the mock turtles missing out of here, which is very an essential part in the book about how. Yeah. I wonder what the deal with that was. Well, I think to actually come out with it and try to animate it and film, it's probably very difficult. A lot of this stuff would be very kind of difficult to play off. I think Disney does a fantastic part point in it. I said before, there are fantastic scenes in it that I like a lot, but as a whole film, it, it's kind of I'm, it does lose you lose interest i mean i watched it in halves but when i was little i liked it a whole lot more but um i was you know i, I like the idea of this movie than the reality of the movie itself yeah i think mm -hmm. that i think the animation is beautiful though i mean you can't oh, yeah. beat that early walt disney animation it's just beautiful stuff you know and when she when she's escaping at the end that's fantastic and especially like yeah. when it gets open the yeah. and stuff like this where yeah she where she's running and what's she what's she jumping over i'm trying to remember now she's she's chasing her after oh god she's jumping over something i can't remember she's jumping over now and i like the way that they run the story in reverse as she's going as she's trying to get back home. oh yeah yeah i forgot yeah. about that too and how she's really looking good. when she finally gets to the end of the story she's looking out the keyhole and she's sleeping Asleep. Yeah. And I like that. I like that as well. That's right. I like. I like that. I love that part where she realizes she's dreaming. But it's, but it's funny because Alice in Wonderland, in my heart, in my head, are something different than the reality of actually watching it. It's kind of bizarre. Though I have to sit there and say, though, there's been some great interpretations of Alice in Wonderland in computer games. There is a slice it and dice it film called Alice in Wonderland, which is very, very good. It's a computer's game. They did uh, two versions of that. And Kingdom Hearts, where Disney meets Final Fantasy and um, Alice appears in those, and they're really well done as well. So, oh, wow. But, and I, I said before, there's a, there's a lot I did like about it, but would, it's, not, it's not one of my it's favorite It's not awful. But I mean, like I said, it's not as, I guess it doesn't have the appeal that, like Snow White had or Peter Pan or or even what's that well, one 
Jungle Book or, you know, what was that one? What was that one? But, it, it, oh, yeah. but, it's icon- but at the same time, it's iconic. That's what's the bizarre part of it is. Like, most of these Disney films are iconic. Well, yeah. Almost, I mean, but this is kind of one. This film is iconic because there's this feeling about the film. But when you watch the film, it doesn't live up to be iconic. But even as I don't like the film, the film is still iconic for me. There's still parts it's of it. It's still, I well, it's old Disney. It's iconic. It's 50 right. years old. I mean, you know, I mean, it's old. It's but like, you can compare this to what Disney was doing at the same time, Peter Pan. It, yeah. Peter Pan's a better film than Alice in Wonderland. It is. It, well, it's got more action in it. Um, 101 Dalmatians is better than Alice in Wonderland. I mean, I, I can still think- have yet to see Cruella. Have you guys seen? No, I heard it's pretty bad. I heard it was really good. Either loved it or hated. I guess I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it though. So no, I haven't. They're gonna humanize Cruella. I guess everybody, every every bad person needs to be humanized. (laughs) Well, I think that has to do with the um, humanizing the evil character because they did that in Wicked, didn't they? They humanized the Wicked Witch, and ever since then. That's why we got Maleficent and we got Cruella. And I think they're going to Maleficent. Probably Ursula's next. Maleficent. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if because... they can make make Ursula near as pretty as Maleficent, but we'll see. <laughs> well, I think it's like um, when I was studying German, I, I didn't know that until then. And a lot of Disney um, movies or tales are from German. Um, Tale the Green Brothers, right? Where the where the story not necessarily happened exactly how we when we see it when we watch the movie, right? And I think it's like kind of like I think from few years uh, until now they're trying to kind of tell you the proper story and bring that that dark part that, that at the time was left aside. But now when you know that you can understand why the the evil let's say is evil, right? Um, you know, I don't know, what, you know what I think might have helped with this a lot is the 23 songs that are in this movie. And you got to remember, this yeah. movie's only like, I don't, how long How long is this movie? Like 74 minutes long or something? No, we're... Yeah, let me see. Real quick. 75 minutes. 75 It's not even an hour and a half. There's mm-hmm. 23 songs in this. So <laughs> I wonder why they why it was such a long musical score. I'm, they must have had some kind of idea why they, you know, method to their madness. Everybody has one. But can you imagine if they took this movie, keep the same animation, everything like that, and give it a more trippy, like 1960s um, trippy soundtrack to it or something? I don't think more, Reefer Madness had come out at that point. Or Danny Elfman did it. You know, Danny Elfman, who did Edward Scissorhands and yeah. it was Big Adventure and Beetlejuice and so on and so on. Or yeah. gave it, I gave it a different score. It might have played differently because you kind of, and I think that I probably needed something a bit more trippy. And I think that might be it, actually. I think it's the way it's been scored and the music in it. Because I have to sort of say that every time they started singing, that's when it, I kind of went, oh. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember the beginning score, you know, the Alice in Wonderland thing. That stuck in my head. That's probably, you're right. No, Painting the Rose is Red. That stuck yeah. in my head. Painting no, the Rose I, I didn't mind that one. I did, the thing is, I didn't mind the one with the characters. It's the one when the Hollywood chorus comes in. That's how they sang back then. But yeah, I think I mean, but I think, but if you had more of a more of a trippy kind of, you know, orchestration or something a bit more spooky or something yeah. like that's a bit more threat, and you know, and you scored it that way, I think I think this would be for me would have been better. Uh, for me, I think 
I think what ruins the movie for me is is not the animation, it's not the characters, it's not the the the, the um, lines that are talking, it's not the way it is. I think it's the score that kind of sets it off, you know. And and it's, it's some of the baldiness of that Saturday morning cartoon um, comedy action thing, you know, with the you know with the war like you know that the Warris and Carpenter thing. I that kind of irritated me a little bit as well because the Warris is kind of. The wars and the oysters and the carpenter. The carpenter, right. the carpenter guy's like, Ooh, I still thing. don't understand what that had to do with any of that. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I, I didn't put that, I did, could not resonate in my brain what that had to do with. That's the story that, and Alice through the looking glass, the Jabberwocky, right? Which is the character in that. That's not in the, in the, the original book. He tells her a story about um, the wars and the carpenter and how the, and basically is about, and the wars is like a glutton. And basically it's a story about how gluttony might give you what you want, but in the, the day, you, gluttony destroys everything around you. That's right. what the story is. That's what that's. Well, it was about gluttony. That's for sure. It was a really disgusting looking <laughs> walrus with no redeeming qualities. And I don't know what the heck was going on with the carpenter. But, but <laughs> even like. Not nice. But even even in Alice in Wonderland, the thing is, they're all the reason why I always remember the stories. I remember the original animation, not the animation, but the original illustrations from uh, Alice in the Looking Glass. And I never actually read it, but I read the Warist sort of thing because it's always the Warist and the Carpenter, and they're basically on the sea. They're on the beach, and it's an open thing. Basically, the oysters are thinking they're going on this fantastic journey, and he tells them the journey is um, inside his mouth, down his throat, and so they start jumping in there, sort of thing, because they're, they're gullible. And I just remember, like, feeling really sad, because then you see all these empty shells of these, you know, corpses, basically, or homes, sort of thing, and that's what the story is. Where here, they, they kind of transformed it into, like, they're in a restaurant, and the carpenter's, like, the cook behind because the waiter is just kind of weird and and you have that you know that hee-haw moment with the carpenter as well which i thought okay but and i think it's you know so those kind of moments is like oh god this guy's the carpenter is annoying the loris is supposed to be horrible anyway yeah well the jabberwocky i mean that's is that in the second book does that where the jabberwocky comes into so that's where they get the jabberwocky is she supposed to fight him in, in this looking glass because oh, I'm going to have to go look. I'm going to end up having to read it now. <laughs> look at Elon. Well, Leandro's reading the moment. Yeah, so. Leandro agrees. Okay. Yeah, no, I will read it. I, I haven't, I just started uh, the looking glass. So yeah, I will tell you later. Oh, you did. Boy, you're an overachiever this weekend. <laughs> no, I just started to read. I, I haven't even reached, um, let's say, Three quarters of the book, but you know, I want to know what happened. Is it a short book? Because I've seen it, I just never picked it up. Um, yeah, it's like three hundred pages. You definitely are an overachiever. (laughs) Well, most most, be honest. I think with Alice and Wonderland, if you're reading it with, uh, does it? You're in the book with the illustrations, and it's a lot of that's illustrations and poem as well. The poems are in there, which takes up a lot of space. Now, since we're talking about, you know, getting into Disney, um, my ex, Donnie, and I used to watch Disney films. And we used to, like, try to, we always thought that the, if you think of the animated characters, like they're, um, 
like their character actors as they appear in other things. Like you, yeah. like you watch um, whether it's Sleeping Beauty, Meriwether appears in other Disney features. Her face does. Yeah. Um. So in Alice in Wonderland, I thought it was quite interesting that we got you see some real characters like the parrot from Saludos Amigos with Donald Duck. He appears in it. I, so we, I was like, that's why I quite like when you ever watch a Disney film, like the older ones, look at the background characters and you'll find that they use the same characters, like whether they might be in Bambi and once another one. And I quite like yeah, that. Yeah, I now. didn't notice. I've noticed Bambi. I haven't really noticed too many other characters, but I have noticed Bambi in the background. Well, the parrot in um, Disney did a film uh, just earlier than this where they're trying to celebrate um, the Panama and Latin America called Saludos Amigos. And the parrot in that is also in um, is also in that as well. And um, but another thing that's up, that this is references and, and Donald in Magic Ma- Magic Magic Land, Donald Duck wears Alice's dress and has his her hairstyle, but brown, not blonde. A, a larger pencil bird in the film as well. Bill the lizard appears in The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> um, really? Alice and several other characters uh, from the film are featured as guests in House of Mouse. Um, which is one of the things, but the Cheshire Cat, Bill the Lizard, and Tweedledum appear in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm-hmm. In the opening of Aladdin, the peddler tries to sell a hookah, which is the same hookah they use that the caterpillar smokes in Alice in Wonderland. Which hookah? The hookah yeah. that the carpenter is smoking is the one that the peddler sells in the beginning of Aladdin. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Oh my God, I'm going to have to. <laughs> in Aladdin and the King of Thieves, the genie turns into the white rabbit. Um, in the movie Flubber, they show um, scenes from the movie Alice in Wonderland. Um, and during the song, When You Wish Upon a Star in Disney's Pinocchio, the Alice in Wonderland book can be seen on the bookshelf while Jiminy Cricket is singing. That's cool. That's, I've yeah. never noticed that. Talk about so if you watch Disney features. If you if you start watching Disney feed more openly, you'll notice that they use some some of the characters start making guest appearances in other Disney films. I do remember Bambi guest appearancing. That's the only one I can remember. I haven't watched yeah. these films. My kids have since grown, so I haven't watched a lot of them in a long time. <laughs> oh yeah, you'll see like Meriwether, or you'll see like um some of this like the starfish um that's dancing around appears in um. In the under the sea moment and yeah. Little Mermaid, so the same face, same everything. So that's quite cool. Now you're so, gonna make now the the Little Mermaid that now that's gonna go back through my head now because now I'm starting to think of that song Under the Sea, which is gonna be really annoying for the rest of the afternoon. Under the sea, <laughs> under the sea. I don't want it wet to take it, it's bad to take it from me. <laughs> but. Um, Okay, now we're going to get to the part where we actually um, discuss um, the difference. Um, which do you prefer, the book or the film, and why? Starting with you, Leandro, do you prefer the book or the film? Uh, the book. Um, you're going to say that. Yes. <laughs> um, it was really hard for me that when I was reading the book to not to think in part of the movie, right? Because I, some parts are really, really famous, like the caterpillar part or the tea party. Right. Um, 
But I don't know. I mean, I would say that for me, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really hard to then watch a movie and then read the book or the other way around, and then always like more the movie, right? Um, just for the reason, you know, that sometimes you know they they cut parts, they they put parts that maybe then in the story they're not even when you read the book they're not even there. Um, and I, even though I like the way they they did it in the movie, um, you know, to put parts together that in the book that doesn't appear, I prefer I prefer the book. Mm. What about yourself, Vix? Oh, I definitely have to go with the book. I mean, I, I mean, I like the I think the movie's beautiful. I really do. But there's just more action in the book. I guess it keeps my mind more entertained. Yeah. Like I said, as much as I, I, I love Disney animated movies, uh, I've loved it when I was a little girl. It was kind of harder watching as an adult, I guess. It didn't, kept, the book kept my attention a whole lot more. Um, for me, um, the book, I think, steals it because the book actually makes your mind wander around with it sort of thing. Yeah. A lot to How could away. it not make your mind wander? Because you have to constantly think about what you're reading. <laughs> yeah you know and i quite like that though hats off to the disney that the disney film when it gets it right nails it i think and the characters are so vivid yes. and, and all the characters in this movie are iconic yeah you know alice is the look of alice is iconic the queen of hearts is iconic but not as iconic as maybe the illustration of the book because i quite like her big head yeah. and the body that you see in the um, or helen the bonham book. i always think of helen bonham now when i think of it i do it goes yeah. right to her i don't know why i thought she was i really liked those movies i mean because i guess they were more adult i guess maybe that's why i liked it but i liked how they didn't say well, another thing the queen of hearts looks walking. like that in the original illustrations though if you look at the original illustrations of alice in wonderland you'll notice that's what the queen of heart looks like she had like a huge head and a really small body. yeah they, she didn't um, really do that in the in the film they she just looked kind of a mess with a messy well interview. i don't know i don't know if you have noticed this i don't know if the book that you read has the picture the, the cartoon in the one that i read and, and the the drawings are not really like nice right the touches appear, and, and for me, I don't know, it's, it's horrible. You know, it's like, it's not that nice, like, as you would think it would be, like, be for a, a, a story for kids. Even Alice is not really, really good looking. For me, she has a really big forehead. And, yeah. like, all in all the drawings, the majority of them, she's, like, a kind of, like, angry, like, moody. Not, not like, in the movie, that she's, like, innocent and happy and all like that. I mean, I oh, even like look. The caterpillar is iconic. The Cheshire Cats in this movie iconic. is iconic. Yeah. The, the Dormouse, the Mad um, Hatter, Mad Hatter, the Rabbit. Um, they're all iconic characters. Even the I mean, I even love to look at the, the cards as well. Yeah. So I think, that, you know, but I think if you know, and I think it kind of gives you like a a step into Alice in Wonderland, but it doesn't. It won't really fulfill you as much as the book does. Mm-hmm. No, I think you have to read the book and then watch any of the, the other adaptations, film or animated with an open mind and decide whether you like it or not. Because you know everybody's going to take artistic license in a production in yeah. some form or another. Yeah, I said before, I just think that, I think the music, I think if they took, they, uh, if they had different music and they had a different score. I think, I think it might have done better. better. Yeah, I think it would have been better for me. So... Except for painting the roses red. <laughs> painting the roses. <laughs> I don't even remember that song. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast, Alice in Wonderland. We will be concluding our classic novels at the end of season four in August with Moby Dick by... Hemmings. Uh, yeah, it's a very thick book. So yeah, <laughs> so we'll be doing Moby Dick as our final. So yeah, so we're, we're actually going... Well, hopefully we'll go out with a bang instead of a splash. So, but be- <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, but um, we'll be covering that. And of course, our next episode will be Bewitched. We'll be covering, um, we're um, going back, going to season two with episodes five through eight. And of course, our two for one, we'll be co- covering our Something in the Water, which basically we'll be looking at some more drug field movies with the movie Ticks from 1993 and Stung from 2015 about what happens when you over over chemicalize your marijuana and how it has habits how it affects the insect breeds in your neighborhood and then we'll be carrying on with dark shadows and of course soap will be um we'll finish out um july so it's 25 through 32 precisely so uh, i want to say good night for myself and good night leandro good night good night vicky good night everyone and we'll be seeing you um, next month with Moby Dick to finish our classic novels before we go into our Kings of Horror for season five. And next week, Bewitch. Good night, everyone. Welcome to Wonderland, we've got it all. Potions and pastries that make you grow tall Forests and cottages, castles and carts that can talk Welcome to Wonderland, look where you're at Maddest of hatters, the Cheshire cat Magical cabins and lovely white rabbits with clocks Dancing through a dream Underneath the stars Laughing till the morning comes Everyone that leaves Has a heavy heart Oh, wonderland I love Welcome to Wonderland, I'll be your guide Holding your hand under sapphire skies Let's go exploring or we could just go for a walk Welcome to Wonderland, where should we go? There's a tea party along down the road Make an appearance and maybe they'll sing us a song Through a dream underneath the stars Laughing till the morning comes Everyone that leaves has a heavy heart Oh, wonderland I love Nothing around here is quite as it seems Not sure if anything's real or a dream And the only thing sure from the start 
Is the song that's inside of your heart Don't let it leave If this was a dream Then at least I've got Memories for when morning comes Now that I must leave With a heavy heart Oh, wonderland I love